The Brandon Peters Show may contain explicit language and detailed plot points. For more information on the show, stay tuned to the end of the episode. We are now recording, and this is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, and Abe is, uh, he's, he's out. He's out right now. He's, we, we have a lot of adventure to cover, and Abe was unfortunately not able to find a, a camel to join us with. Uh, but this week, <laughs> Out Now, it's a it's a film podcast where Abe and I discuss, normally discuss the movies weekly. However, every now and then, we'll have these special bonus episodes, whether it's one of our fun commentary tracks on Galoot or different. And this is one of our fun commentary tracks for February, for February that's correct, 2022. Uh, this month, we are talking... That's right. The 2005 adventure flop, Sahara. The Obviously. Clive Cussler film <laughs> adaptation uh, starring Matthew McConaughey, Steve Zahn, and Penelope Cruz, directed by Rick Eisner. That is the plan here. We have uh, we have Uncharted coming out this week. So in honor of uh, attempted adventure franchises, here we are back with everyone's favorite Sahara joining me to discuss Sahara for this commentary Jack we have from Lisa Blue and host of the Brandon Peters show he once rose the Titanic it's Brandon Peters yeah sequel Sahara be a lot cooler if he did <laughs> also joining us from Forbes some call him the night probe it's Scott Mendelson the night probe it's a classic awesome. novel <laughs> I like it I'm doing well. Thank you for having me as always. Glad to have you here. Glad to have you both here. I'm excited to talk about this movie because it is something of a curiosity for the mid 2000s mm-hmm. uh, that we can get into. I believe, is it our first McConaughey movie? I was wondering that today. <laughs> I think it might it be. be. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll discover this as At we go. At some point, we have to do contact just because it's awesome. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, nothing says exciting commentary like two and a half hours of us talking about Robert Zemeckis' contact, and we'll see. We'll see what we can. Well, do. I don't know if we'll have enough to talk about, but we'll try. Yeah. <laughs> we'll just start reading from Carl Sagan books and examining those passages. Billions and billions. Yeah. Okay. It's pretty good. It's pretty good Sagan. Um, so yeah, we're gonna do a commentary for Sahara. How this works? All of us have the movie currently paused five seconds in. Uh, if you have the similar film that we do, yeah, that means the Paramount stars are falling from the sky right now. So if you not the watch, 1983 film Sahara, but correct, or the Humphrey Bogart movie. Uh, so yeah, if you plan to watch along with us, pause the film five seconds in, and on the sound of go, we will press play, and you can listen along with watching the movie. If you just plan to uh, listen to us talk about the movie, you're good. You just do what your thing, and you're set to go. Okay, so you guys ready? Mm-hmm. Yes. All right. Three, two, one, go. You ever been to the Sahara, Aaron? I've been to Africa, but I've not been to the Sahara. I've been to South Africa and um, Zambia. So it's far, far south of where the Sahara is. You, Brandon, have you taken a trip to the Sahara? No, no. Scott, have you uh, been to the desert on a horse? I have not been to the Sahara Desert, no. Okay. Well, I, I'm sure it's hot there. Um, let's, let's talk about this movie, Sahara. Uh, let's go over. I feel like we both have interesting, uh, the three of us have interesting where we first saw this story. So let's start with you guys. Because you guys saw it together, if I'm not mistaken, right? No. Oh, you no, didn't? we didn't. No, okay. no, no, no. Oh, okay. I was wrong. Okay. 
you just don't share a certain fondness for this film. Probably my fondness before com- we knew each other. My my fondness comes from Scott. Um, <laughs> I'll go first. So okay. I, when I went, I first uh, before I moved to Los Angeles, I went out there to interview where Scott and I worked, um, and take a day of shadowing there to see if it was gonna work. Of course, it was gonna work. It's DVDs. It's awesome. Um, I didn't meet Scott then, uh, but at the time, the movie playing at the Chinese theater, the Man's Chinese theater was Sahara, and it had the Jeeps and vehicles out there. You could walk and look at it, but like, I kind of wasn't interested in seeing it. If I was moving there in the summer, my first movie at the Chinese theater would be something else. I'm like, Sahara? Uh, I, don't, I don't know about that. Uh, my first movie wound up being War of the Worlds, the Steven Spielberg one. Uh, but then I started that summer working uh, at uh, IQC with Scott and Scott and I talked daily and one of the films he mentioned being awesome was Sahara and I was like that really that sounds like, like a thing Scott would do yeah, like, hey, have Scott, you seen Sahara <laughs> there's many a times where there was something I just like in the like pop culture mainstream movies I was just like eh, the past especially back when I was a little more picky um, and I was like Sahara really it's like I eh. said like, no you're like no I, I, Scott was like yeah sure sure so at the time I hadn't I hadn't changed my driver's license over to be California or anything like that. because I wasn't driving. So it didn't matter to me. I just kept my Indiana one. So I, I was, my apartment was next to a Hollywood video and I like a Hollywood video in Hollywood. So cool. Uh, So I went in there and I would have to buy used movies if I like, instead of renting them or whatever, cause like whatever uh, it's cheap. And I, so I went and bought a used copy of Sahara to check out, Mr. Mendelssohn's recommendation here. And lo and behold, I enjoyed the hell out of it. I was like, holy crap, this is like the like Indiana Jones kind of movie we've wanted and nobody went and saw it. And he's like, correct. So um, I'm not saying it's up there with Raiders or even, you know, a romancing the stone, but it's in the vibe. It works. It's fun. It's better than it was received. Um, but yeah, so I bought that DVD and I didn't replace that DVD with a Blu-ray till now for this commentary, actually. Much I like the movie. Brandon Peters says Sahara's good as Raiders. Got it. Okay. Um, before we <laughs> talk further about this, I just want to. Of Atlantis, Raiders of Atlantis. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Asylum's Raider of Atlantis. Um, we're talking all over this, what seems to be a very expensive prologue that has mm-hmm. nothing to do with the rest of the movie besides the artifact that these characters are inside, which is a civil well, war back. era. A civil, back. War, a civil war era submersible. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I. I seeing this for the first, I guess I'll go to X just because it ties in. I seeing this for the first time. I'm aware of this story about this thing, this ironclad thing. I learned about mm-hmm. these like civil war era submarine slash armored ships. And so I was like, I don't know this material at all. I don't know Clive Cussler novels or whatnot. Nope. I, don't, I don't know the adventures <laughs> of Dirk Pitt, a character whose name is so silly. And somehow he produced many novels. So people apparently like the name Dirk Pitt more than I do. Uh, but uh, the Easy to spell. Sure, Dirk, Dirk Pitt or Brad Pitt, you choose. Yeah, but um, the the idea that it started off with this like pretty neat, like oh, we're doing this thing, like I was into that. That that got me going right away. I saw this movie like three weeks early at a college preview. Um, we I was in college at the time, and you know they have sneak previews for movies there occasionally. At least in my college, they did. And uh, I like this credit, by the way, a Clive, Clive Cussler, Dirk Pitt adventure. And mm-hmm. part of the credits for the movie, <laughs> like I, I, I can't think of anything similar to that. That's just a lone credit that way. Like maybe at Ian Fleming's James Bond is maybe the closest mm-hmm. you're going to get to that. Um, 
but um yeah i saw this like three weeks early so i had no real word on it i didn't really know the buzz behind it i think i might have heard that it was expensive but that's about it but it was certainly outside the realm of reviews or like things indicating what this movie was going to be it was just hey you see in a trailer matthew mcgade steve zom and ellie cruz are in a movie the adventure, adventure and stuff saw it felt relatively indifferent about it at the time i thought there was some cool stuff in it but i didn't like think about it too much that said like in the you know anything that comes up it's not the movie that i think of like that's only known for being a disaster it's like oh it was fine for what it was at the time uh so i was excited to revisit this now <laughs> because you you guys have talked it up more mm-hmm. and having you know watched it again it's yeah this movie actually it's got some moves that i i quite enjoy but uh yeah so i saw it fairly early on before the the buzz came out and it became the infamous flop that it is known as now but scott what did you first see sahara uh, I saw the uh, the week the first weekday chunk. I did not see on opening weekend. It came out, uh, came out sh- at the beginning of April, April fourth. Yes, April eighth. Um, yeah, so it was just after I turned twenty five, mm. and I just I saw it because you know it looked fun and it was something to see. I you know, and I really liked it a lot um, for reasons that I'm sure we'll discuss over the next two hours. Um, and even then, it was like, okay, yeah, it's a huge flop, and on one hand, I love that the movie looks real, you know, with real locations and real fights and real stunts and yada, yada, yada. On the other hand, you know, of course, commercially, it was absurd to spend $130 million on a cult source material with of this nature. I mean, even in 2005, it was a ridiculous prospect. This film is going to somehow click with the zeitgeist and make $400 million worldwide. Um, it just... You know, it sure as hell is going to happen now, but it wouldn't even happen that. And seems, as much as I, as it, much as I would like to say, boo hoo, people should see it if it's what they claim they want. Eh, I get it. You know, it's it's it's. Anyway, I interrupted you. I it's a it's a weird anomaly for like an April release that has a hundred over a hundred million dollar mm-hmm. budget. If I'm not mistaken, yeah. like it was there, especially then. It's, yeah, that event especially right like you like we were starting we were starting to get march even then like 300s next year like or yeah. two in 2000 two years two years in 2007 when you have like the the big march movie that can like kick off things as far as box office goes but it's like 2005 that was this was in the time when it was like box office was kind of slumping a bit right like it was kind of like not typically not doing well for a lot of movies that are coming around this time uh yeah i mean uh, again, again this is in a pre all temples all the time environment. Mm-hmm. So you weren't really expecting record breakers in, you know, February, March, April. Sure. But I, I remember distinctly, um, like it was in the news a lot where like movies just aren't hitting as strongly well, as they were. But what had happened if 2004 you know, was a pretty particularly big year. What happened with 2004 is you had two films, uh, Fahrenheit 9 11 and The Passion of the Christ, that played very well to people that otherwise would not be going to the movies under any circumstances. Mm hmm. So that boosted the overall grosses. And you had you know, huge overperformances from uh, Shrek 2, um, to a certain extent, Spider-Man 2, and, and the holdover business from Return of the King. So 2004 was an abnormally big year that, frankly, you know, you I, I know, I know what you're talking about. You're about the whole slump <laughs> narrative that was all over the media in the summer of 2005. Because, you know, every weekend would be lower than 2004. And I, among a few other people, were like, that's because it's not the same movies. Mm-hmm. I mean, he had Star Wars, but otherwise, the only big, 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 big movie that summer was uh, War of the Worlds. 
Uh, and to a certain extent, you know, Willy Wonka, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Um, it, like Wedding Crashers was big for an yeah, R-rated comedy. It was big for an R-rated comedy, absolutely. Well, didn't, but, you know, didn't, Batman Begins didn't crack 400. Um, and, you know, even going into the summer, the big movies were supposed to be Star Wars, War of the Worlds, and Batman Begins. They, um, the weekend, the Memorial Day weekend actually panned out pretty good for all three releases, which was a yes. surprise because like Madagascar, Madagascar Long, Longest, Longest Yard, Yard, and the second again, weekend in of Star movie Wars. By movie sense, the films were doing fine. And that was, you know, I was one saying, you know, cumulative box office is only telling half the story. Right. You know, it's just, again, there, there's, it's, again, to me, the anomalies in 2004 were Passion of the Christ. Uh, Fahrenheit 9-11, which was a docu- a political documentary that made $120 million domestic. That's not something you can count on every year. Or People ever, hated Bush that much, where they're like, we need Michael Moore to show us something here. Well, it, Tell us what we know. Tell us what we know. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it was a huge deal. Yeah. I mean, it was, I, I think it broke a record from Rocky sure Three, where it had the biggest opening weekend for a movie under a thousand screens. Just to point this out, it's ten exactly ten minutes in is when Matthew McConaughey first enters yeah. this movie. <laughs> well, this movie also the highlighted was the press tour with McConaughey. Wasn't he like yeah. driving a he was, bus he, or something? He was in an air, he was in an airstream trailer going mm-hmm. across America. He went to events like like uh, what the NASCAR five the NASCAR um, mm-hmm. Indianapolis five like just you know yeah. huge middle America type events. Uh, and he had on. the cup that he could pee in the, this little device he could pee in so he wouldn't have to stop yeah and it was like an mtv document and you know paramount owns mtv mm-hmm. so it was like that yeah, they could like do reality show type stuff with him yeah. touring this movie and whatnot what little difference that made <laughs> to the overall effect of, uh, of zahara mm-hmm. well yeah and that's unfortunate as you know we've learned over the years that there's of, you know, media, you know, publicity and or tangential events that will sometimes go quote unquote viral mm-hmm. won't move the needle if people don't want to see the movie. I mean, everybody went nuts over David S. Bumpkin in October 2016. Nobody showed up to Inferno. Um, unfortunately, there's never, you know, and even less so now, there's not a lot of overlap. On the on the plus side of that, at least Lauren Michaels wasn't like we got to get Tom Hanks to do a movie. Instead, they just did yeah. like an animated special. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, harmless little. Yeah, harmless know. little thing, which was fairly fine. But regardless, I just I they didn't like try to milk that too far. Right. Um, was, was McConaughey and Penelope Cruz an item after during this, this movie? Too? Yeah. After like, this movie, like, yeah. During the making of this movie, they what they became they dated for like a year. Yeah, I can't imagine why. <laughs> for both um, of them how do you not I, make it work with penelope cruz and this is like right after she <laughs> ended it with tom cruise for like yeah. the like the year there together or whatever uh, my spelling no your spelling no my spelling <laughs> no my spelling no mine it's a fun intro to his character by the way it's kind of oh, yeah. like quick it's, it's just like batman begins these quick edit fights of, of shirtless matthew got taking down some thugs mm-hmm. um it's like on her majesty's secret service fighting on the beach yeah that's yeah. what it reminded me of at the time mm-hmm. and it, I, I mean oh. and, and with the edits and everything yeah and that's a yeah. big thing of this movie like it it wants to be bond and indiana jones which is well it's romancing <laughs> the stone is the it, trifecta they got yeah, yeah, going here it, it's certainly, and you can even hear it in this, which I forgot it was a Clint Mansell score, which is strange because it's, but it's very brassy. It very mm-hmm. much wants to have a Bond type score. Right. At the same time, it's a globe trotting adventurer guy like doing this thing. So it's, 
It's what? only playing with like some clear tropes and clear ideas. Well, while you have Matthew McConaughey and Penelope Cruz, it's not like like a sexy movie. It's rough and tumble, desert, old, you know, beat up ship. It's a, it's a swashbuckler like, yeah. without Swash, swords, yeah, basically. Because yeah. <laughs> that, that's that's where like the the Bond stuff goes away. Like it's like it's yeah. like it's in a spirit, but not in aesthetic. Sure. Well, I think it's 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 a it's a movie where you have a blue collar hero who's, mm-hmm. you know, involved in a James Bond adventure. Um, you know, obviously, I mean, he does, he does show up in a tuxedo at one point, if I recall. It's they dress up in suits early on. Yeah, yeah. Like for whatever yeah. a scene. Yeah, because. Yeah, for like mm-hmm. some event or something. And, re- but, and, the, and the best looking person is William H. Macy when we do this. Of course. <laughs> um, Which is like a, this is bread and buttered William H. Macy type role too. Oh, yeah. like this, is pri- oh, yeah. this is this is like the prime Macy period where it's like he's already like had the 90s to build up the idea of him being like cool indie guy and now he's like when William H. Macy pops up you're like yeah William H. Macy's here to, yeah. to, to liven up some things. Well, and here's oh. Rain Wilson before the office took off and it's almost like William H. Macy's like this is what you're supposed to be. Now, now <laughs> I'm be- trying to pass a torch. Being in college at the time watching this People lit up when Rain Wilson showed up. It's like, hey, is that guy from that show we kind of watch right now? Uh, <laughs> like that was exact, the exact reaction that I this recall. was actually. This probably came out during that six episode run, right? Yeah, during that. Yes, yeah, very much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. This is McConaughey's, I think, third introduction into the movie. <laughs> I guess fourth if you count the intro credits of him in pictures. The <laughs> um, other thing, that, I mean, we talked about the score a little bit, but the thing that also informed this movie is like, aside from like a score, it's very 70s rock influenced, which is another thing that I actually really enjoyed about this movie. Mm-hmm. I feel like other movies, some movies don't know how to make that work. I feel like the spirit of this, given that you have Matt McConaughey and Steve Zahn, who are, you know, fairly laid back type actors, I think this really fits that vibe and it does give it a distinction that makes it stand out from other films. So I, I appreciated mm-hmm. that as well. I guess because it's not a period film also. That's the other thing, right? Indiana Jones are like the 30s, this is, you know, a modern yeah. film where it's just like, what would these guys listen to on the radio? Let's put that as a score. Like, that's that's a, that's a fun choice. Well, this is, I think, something of interest to McConaughey, the adventure film, is like three years later, he try it to pour degrees with Fool's Gold, bringing in Kate Hudson to reunite there. Yeah, he did an actual romance in the stone type movie. <laughs> yeah. And it, He's trying to have his cake and eat it too. Dude, I've never, I've never. I've never seen that movie. Like, is it actually like, is it like an adventure movie or yeah, is it it's, like, it's a, it's a treasure hunting. Are there pirates? Movie? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I know. I, mean, I know it, Donald Sutherland's like old rich man in that. Yeah. Movie. <laughs> it's, it's a, it's, I saw it once and it's like, Oh, I, I, maybe I'll go back and I'm like, you know what? This isn't that. I kind of doubt it. <laughs> it was the, it was the, the how to lose a 10 guy, guy in 10 days follow up that boys didn't want and girls didn't want. So it was like, there you go. <laughs> Um, you're, you're saying that movie had a failure to launch? Ah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Let's move on to the Your reign is on fire. All right. Speaking of indie oh, cred, God. speaking of indie cred here, you're making um, me frail, T. We have, we have, <laughs> sorry, we have William H. Macy's uh, uh, Paris, Texas co-star Steve Zahn here as well. Yes. Uh, uh, Paris, Texas, famous blockbuster. And um, <laughs> similarly, he also is like got to a point where 
he's certainly not a name draw, I wouldn't say, but like, you know, he's, he's been enough like stuff where you like, you he's a guy people him. recognize him. Well, oh, he's the funny guy in that thing, you know, like he shows up, but like he's a, a Macy type because Macy, him and McConaughey, like he plays another William H. Macy role in Lincoln Lawyer. Like he shows up yeah. and like, oh, that's, yeah. that's a 1000% 1990s William H. Macy role. It's and the same kind of role, right? He's like, like the police, like, just he's like the PI that he uses and yeah. he's, you know, he's, he's not quite well kept. He's a little on the edge and he gets in a little too much danger. Spoiler alert. Uh, but <laughs> this yeah, the, this is the tuxedo scene. Right yeah. here. <laughs> Steve Zahn's wearing like gross point blank attire, you know, yeah. the, the convenience <laughs> score, the not Steve Zahn, Steve Zahn guy. Mm. And of course the Merovingian shows up here and is like other big, you know, US when movie. this was made, it's like, all right, <laughs> Hey, we got that guy from the matrix. What should we have him do? Keanu? Well, no, we'll, no, no. We'll, we'll have him use his regular American French accent since he speaks English very well and doesn't mm-hmm. have nearly an exaggerated accent. that he doesn't make sure. <laughs> but, and we'll have him play like a complete bland person. That's probably evil. I guess <laughs> that's the takeaway. Kind of, he's got a mustache before mustaches came back to be acceptable. His facial hair choice, I'm very, it was a very, it's very curious to watch it because like, it doesn't always show up. It seems like he constantly has a mustache, but it's the kind of mustache, but he's blonde, that's probably, so it's like tan, dirty skin. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, it sticks out when it does. And then it doesn't in other cases. It's it's such a weird, like, is that a mustache or is he just dirty? It's like, (laughs) it's it's specifically not a goatee. He just has, he has a five o'clock shadow also. Mm-hmm. and a mustache like that's such a bizarre it's what colin <laughs> farrell did for miami vice basically yeah but you know with less of the cocaine and the hair so i mean like, it, it worked out um let's see uh, we're getting like we're getting we're getting into that. that's dragon fruit by the way it looks like it's all did weird. you have it's that like, when you were in africa i have it in my backyard like <laughs> so cool. It is not a weird fruit. And you read rules. It's like, what is this thing? I'm an archaeologist. Um, um, this plot take like it takes a bit to get going because we have to deal with like setting up a lot of different characters, which, again, I find unique for an adventure film like this, given that it's this is a as the credits told me a Dirk Pitt adventure. <laughs> but we have like the who doctors. We have the Merovingian guy. We have William H. Macy, who's very involved in this story. It almost feels like it's Penelope Cruz's movie with a big supporting role with Matthew McConaughey at this point. It For the like, yeah. the, for the first half, it pretty much it, like it, it's it's their parallel stories for yeah. sure. Yeah. 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 But and she's like she's competent. moving them she's, primarily. Yeah, she's, she's moving. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, she's, exactly. She's yeah. moving the plot forward along with Glenn Turman. Uh, so it's I mean, you know, for example, the mummy, where up to a point it's Rachel Wise, yeah, who is exactly making that. the movie happen. Mm-hmm. And Brandon Brendan Fraser is the lovable rogue who, you know, helps oh yeah, you know, he's the Han Solo. Helps along. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um No, I was doing you know, look when I'm doing research and stuff prepping for this, like Penelope Cruz, like I I've I've always enjoyed Penelope, but her career is just that it, it didn't she doesn't really like fumble like a lot of uh people coming from not the US to the US to do movies. She kind of manages to do what she wants, never goes too big in things. Like they seem to know how to use her right away in American films. And so it's like, like there's not there's not too many of them. And like they're you know the things she, that she's in they're pretty like 
established people are mostly yeah. involved. Right. I mean, she, I mean, but like, she doesn't get like, she's not like Numi Rapace or whatever, where it's like, you gotta be bigger right away or whatever, or something, throw her into projects. She works with good people. People know how to, they know how to use her to restrict. And she has no fear in going back doing films because she knows she can bring a spotlight globally because she's in something. And she's a fantastic performer either way in her native language or here in America. But um, she's managed to have a consistent, solid career with no real drips or droops or anything. Yeah. I mean, she was yeah. in that stupid pirates movie, but she no one got a lot of money the, for that. The bad she was one. A highlight. She, was, <laughs> yeah. she was a highlight. No one's blaming her for it. Um, it. It was no skin off her back. No, you're right. That. I mean, it's been 22 years since uh, was it Woman on Top? Is that the one where mm -hmm. she was the, yeah. the cooking one? Yeah. And that was, of course, the first time I had ever seen her. And, you know, the entire what's the, the entire marketing campaign about the movie is how hot she is. Um, but, you know, as far as introducing her to American audiences, it did the trick. Yeah. And I've never seen a movie like a blockbuster movie. Just use her as just like, here's a side piece. Like, she's actually somebody in this film. Yeah. She's somebody in a pirate's film. She's like, you know, she's not just I mean, she's a super attractive woman, but she's never used just to be eye candy in a role like. And I don't know if that's um, by her. Well, she's not. She's not in too many blockbusters. I mean, it's probably like three. But when she total, does, we, yeah, I mean. yeah. Well, high-profile um, films. High-profile films. Yeah. Because I, I also guess. think that you know whether it's because she you know manages money well or between her and Javier Bardem they manage money well, is she can afford to say no. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, there's just speculation. I think it's just interest in what she wants to do. I mean, if there's yeah. a reason that she's. It's not like she was with Pedro Almodovar and then it was like, nope, no need for that anymore. She keeps <laughs> working with him because right. yeah, that's, that's clearly the, you know, the stuff that challenges her as an actress. Well, I, I think part of it is in general, I remember something Antonio Banderas said, you know, right in the mid nineties was that, you know, explaining why he had made a lot of frankly mediocre movies after Desperado is like, you know, look, when you're, you know, in my, the way it works for me is you, you come to America and you just work like a, too crazy to so you can send money home. And I think the other thing is, oh, is that know, what Nicolas are... Cage is doing? Exactly. Yes. <laughs> Sending money home to his castle. Um, yeah. The other thing is, you know, quite frankly, when you're not a white guy, you, to a certain extent, you want to strike when the iron's hot. You know, I, I've always felt a great sympathy for, you know, Cuba Gooding Jr. Who often gets, you know, tagged as, you know, the, the Oscar winner that made a bunch of terrible choices. Well, like what was he being offered compared to, you know, the white Cuba Gooding Jr., whoever that might be. And Matthew McConaughey. He didn't win an Oscar, but I mean yeah. they broke they broke out around the same yeah, they broke time. out the same year. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um McConaughey was somebody that was anointed as the next Paul Newman before his first starring vehicle came out. Mm -hmm. Um and frankly, I think he's yeah, this is entirely commercial. This has nothing to do with his value as an actor. You know, his commercial value has over has always been overinflated. Um, and even the whole, you know, McConaissance thing in the early two, two 2010s, that was basically a media fabricated narrative. The idea being that, oh, he's not doing rom-coms anymore. He's a serious actor now. Um, a, he was always a good actor. And B, generally speaking, it's not like these movies started becoming more of a box office draw. Well, and he is good. He is good in those rom coms too. Oh, absolutely. That's the, th that's the thing. Like, and you know, it's it's it's. Well, it's weird because there's not like, because I I agree with you. There's not like some downtime that he has in like suddenly like regroups. I mean, because you have yeah. you have ghosts of girlfriends past, 
then there's a year gap, and then it's the Lincoln lawyer. Yeah. And after that, it's Bernie, Killer Joe, Mud, Magic Mike. And it's like, sure, he, these are not like he, it's not, he, it's not consistently just romantic comedies, but it's like before Ghost of Girlfriends passed, you you in between things like Fool's Gold and Failure to Launch, you have regardless of quality, two for the money, we are Marshall, Surfer LT. Dude. Like yeah, frail frailty is great. I mean, that's yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, it's, 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 it's like it's a it's a mix. Like there's yeah. oh, you're absolutely right. But the idea is that he was able to, and whether it was him leading the charge or whether it was you know the you know the media wanting a good narrative, you know the Lincoln lawyer was very much sold on you know Matthew McConaughey's back to making real movies now. Look at there's a lawyer again, and a time to kill was his big lawyer movie. Yeah. And then you know, um, follow, follow that up. Like everything after that is a drama to some degree. Yes. Like, so I mean, it's like it's it's just him not doing it. Well, he also made is, a he made a decision himself to absolutely to do that as well. Sure. Like, um, and I mean, guarantee you, one journalist said reconnaissance, and that was the end of it right there. Like mm-hmm. that just took off. That's a, that's probably true too. I mean, the, it, the one journalist <laughs> is like, "Hey, I checked out a McConaughey movie for the first time in like six <laughs> years. It's good." Like I bet it's the same journalist that said half a hater for the first time. It's one guy that does all of this bullshit. Yeah, I, and McConaughey's an an enigma. Like he has no like, like I, there's some directors he'll he'll go back around, but he's like his own thing. Like he's only maybe there's ego to it or whatever, but he's never like seems worried about like what uh, a consensus might say. Like he's always going to be himself, whether yeah, whether we agree with that opinion or not. You know Matthew McConaughey is one hundred percent genuine. L I V I N. Just keep living. That's there's, him. There's no <laughs> fake. There's no, there's no bullshit. There's no fake shit. That a lot we get from. There's a lot of beloved celebrities that don't believe what's coming out of their damn mouth. And, and he's he's got to be I, he's got to be pretty self aware too. I mean, I think he gets oh, yeah. the he gets his the thing that he is like to the point mm-hmm. of where those Lincoln commercials. I, I can't imagine him not like knowing the joke that he's in on. <laughs> <laughs> no, and, and you know, regardless of you know my whatever's about you know the way he's covered, it, you know, he's been a great actor since nineteen the nineteen ninety early nineties. Mm-hmm. Right? Yes, he's always exactly. been good. Text the, the next he's, generation. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, it's something I always say is like you can tell star power being good in a terrible movie. <laughs> Um, you know, Rupert Everett, if I may, you know, flashback, I saw basically an ideal husband and, and, and Inspector Gadget in the same week. Oh, boy. And he's great <laughs> in both of those. Yeah. So, you know, that's a, you know, generally speaking, you know, that's a that's star power. Remember when Rupert Everett was like just the, yeah. just ran away with um, my best friend's wedding, even though everybody is very good in that movie. It's, yes. it's, that's a, it's, a, it's a very solid rom com. Um, but Rupert ever kind of ran away with that. He got like a Golden Globe nomination or whatnot. People are like, this guy's gonna, he's gonna do everything. And he just promptly did not do much at all. Because he was out of his gay and it was yep. the right time. And no, oh, he can't <laughs> play a straight person. We don't make gay love movies. So goodbye, Rupert Everett. That's what but happened we, to him. But we did love him as a gay person in this rom com. And that's the exactly. only thing that's possible. Oh, he's really gay. He's oh, okay. gay. Yeah. Oh, he's really gay. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. Um, that, which you know, it's it's it's. I like the next best thing. Mm-hmm. It's a perfect example of the kind of movie that, you know, without slighting the critics of that era, you know, it's the kind of thing that today would be like, holy shit, this is amazing. It's a nuanced, specific movie about a specific issue with specific demographics with a specific mm-hmm. point of view that isn't afraid to be uncomfortable. You know, yada yada yada. 
I, I mean, Madonna brings a lot of baggage with anything she's been doing. That's true. And I mean, desperately seeking Susan to sign. She's not the strongest actor. I mean, that's that's not going to help. I mean, mm, yeah. Die another I day disagrees. Good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so it depends who she's working with, honestly. Like that's yeah, you know, Evita's very good, Dick Tracy's very good. Uh-huh. League of Their Own is solid. She's a the Danny, she's a Danny Glover of her type. Yeah. Um <laughs> Madonna did the Danny Glover of her type. <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> <laughs> I do like that this film is taking its time in terms of establishing the characters and the conflicts before we get into you know action movie mode. Well, Which this I do, is, this I, is, I, I oh. just I do think it kind of sinks the movie as far as audiences are concerned because they're like, well, it's not fun enough. Like, I, like I think this stuff is fun. You guys think it stuff is fun, but I do think there's a hesitancy to embrace it from some audiences because it's not just getting to the point. Which is, you know, that's more the audience. They don't like the detective work. They want to see the. The, the chase and all that because this while this was a really expensive movie this is still in that period where they don't have the money to do action scenes all the time so they have to focus on these unfortunately somewhere in the script there wasn't a spot for a motorcycle chase or something <laughs> right in here and it's it's stealth detective work it's meeting our characters having just fun hanging out with them and it's also from what i can understand despite some omissions pretty faithful to the book like it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a pretty From faithful what I adaptation i mean yeah put put costumes on these second. people my headphones just died i'm gonna go get another pair r.i.p headphones uh put uh put the co- costumes on them and have them talking about uh, oh that nick fury people are like oh this is so good it's the one they didn't have to do the actions those character moments they'll accept yeah. them from ips like they know of but when it's a book they didn't read. I don't despite, know. Despite being like people you ideally like, like, yeah. I, why would I not want to just have Matthew McConaughey and Steve Zahn just hanging out? Right. Like, doing like explaining the plot, but also like doing their thing as performers, which I think is mm-hmm. entertaining. But again, it's also, yeah, it is from what I can tell faithful to the story. And depending on the day, mm-hmm. uh, Clive Cussler is either a fan of how they did this or not a fan of how they did this. <laughs> it's, Clive Cussler seems like a very grumpy kind of guy, <laughs> the kind of guy that gets irritable quickly. That's, that's I'm sure if the movie did this. well and they adapted six more of his books, he'd be thrilled. He'd, he'd be think this was awesome. So yeah, but like I, I know the, in the adaptation process, there were like 10 writers total. Hmm. There was a lot of like, Kessler trying to say his piece on everything and Paramount kind of shoving him aside and be like, look, we got to like write this movie. We can't just like keep giving you final say every step of the way. There's a lot of like back and forth, which is part of why the budget ballooned mm-hmm. so high. There were so many like choices being made as far as to how to do this thing um, before it like finally happened. I don't really know what Kessler thinks now. I do think he tried to sue Paramount at least once. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> for reasons um but yeah it's a it's a there's a number of things when scott gets back here we can talk about this more too there's a number of like Mm -hmm. issues (laughs) from a financial standpoint and a business standpoint and international laws um, that got broken (laughs) for this movie to happen oh geez yeah there's reasons why this movie cost so much and was notable for flopping because of like the amount of effort that was put into making Mm -hmm. this movie happen (laughs) um so it was a big gamble on the part of paramount uh to like 
try to do this thing and yes it is got hammered by critics and made no money <laughs> so it's like okay you can only, can only suffer so much for the troubles of dirk pitt yeah and this this particular one looks like it's the 11th book yeah it's like it's like midway through the series but it comes sandwiched between dragon and inca gold i'm looking at the series there's 25 dirk pitt books yeah Whew. he's got that gotta get that dirk yeah. Raise the Titanic was the fourth one. So, I mean, no one wanted to start at Pacific Vortex, the original Dirk Pitt adventure. Scott, you there? Not yet. Um, we have not talked about a McConaughey movie before. No. No, oh. not for a commentary. We've talked about plenty of McConaughey movies in like the horror episodes and other episodes. Right. But we haven't specifically talked about McConaughey movies. Um, as of now, what a good one to start with. <laughs> the ones that people keep calling to. <laughs> Next so month, that? Surfer Dude. <laughs> Maybe we should just do failed uh, adventure. <laughs> Adventure films. Build adventure films. <laughs> oh. Next week, the um, Alan Cartermain Adventures. Yeah, Alan Carter. Double feature. Yeah, first Sharon Stone. Oh, no, we did. Did we do Total Recall, right? We, we did. did Total Recall, yeah. Sharon Stone will return. I'm pretty sure we did Total Recall. <laughs> I like to think we did Total Recall. That one's a funny story of mishaps because the. Golden and Globus were like, get us the stone woman for this movie. And they were talking about Kathleen Turner from Romancing the Stone, and they hired Sharon Stone. And they're like, who is this? They're like, you said the stone woman. And they're like, what? No. <laughs> they were too late. They hired her, and they had to make the Quartermain movies with Sharon Stone instead of Kathleen Turner. I mean, it would have been redundant on Kathleen Turner's part. <laughs> right, yeah. She would have said, she probably would have said no. But like it's funny that they asked they, they told them to go out and get us the stone woman <laughs> and they came back with Sharon Stone. <laughs> Scott, are you there? Yes, I am. I had to switch headphones. Fair enough. I, for, I forgot that I used these headphones to watch a drive my car screener this afternoon. So they were baby, you could drive my car. Baby, yeah. We're about to get to our first big action sequence coming up in a Ooh. second. But um <laughs> Scott, we were talking a bit about the budget. And um, Clive Cussler and um, the various things that happened on Paramount's part to make this thing a, a go and <laughs> produce this film. You know, you, you know more about uh, oh, not various... necessarily. I know there was litigation eventually. Yeah, uh, I don't know all the details to be honest with you. I probably should have looked it up beforehand, but that's on me. No, I have some of it. I mean, a lot of it involves Cussler, involves him suing various people um and about consultant fees and things like that but uh yeah basically the producers had argued that they had been misled in terms of clive custer being more popular than he actually was yeah that's (laughs) the short for that's a very short simplified version of it Mm -hmm. um Uh, on top of that i mean beyond the custler stuff there was as i alluded to there were some international laws broken in some instances yeah. <laughs> to make this movie. Um, actually, getting that back to Penelope Cruz, uh, Clive Cussler wanted Salma Hayek, 
Um, <laughs> but they chose Penelope Cruz because she's from Spain, and that meant that they could get some European credits, um, tax credits, to, to help further fund the movie, which was already ballooning in budget, which is fascinating to me. <laughs> well, and that's, that's often how it works. I mean, obvious example is, you know, Prince of Egypt, which got, or not Prince of Egypt, Gods of Egypt, Gods which of got, Egypt. Yeah. you know, reamed on the internet for having a bunch of Australian people playing Egyptians, allegedly. And, you know, it's like, being, you know, they couldn't just, for whatever reason, they couldn't just come out and say, like, look, it's cast with a bunch of Australians because Australian tax credits. Mm-hmm. You know, really, there's no other reason. <laughs> Instead, they had to, you know, basically apologize and make up nonsense reasons for the the quote-unquote problematic casting when it was just tax credits and, and you know, financial considerations. And the fact that Egypt is used as more of like a... <laughs> Yeah, a, and, you know, a, a palette. That a, yeah, like, I, I a, came a out of a, a screening of that movie, and the, you know, I, I and you like it more than all of us. Yes, we know that. Well, yeah, but I and I spoke to a couple of Lionsgate people afterwards. The first thing I said is like, "You idiots! Why didn't you just call it like Gods of Jupiter or something? You know, you could have avoided all of this nonsense. It doesn't need to be Egypt. It's Alex, Alex Proyas just wanted the old Egypt thing. He's yeah. Know. I mean, it's like it's freaking Eternia. It's mm-hmm. the He-Man movie. Anyway. Speaking of things tangentially related, here's a very British Lenny James playing an African man. Right. Um, <laughs> with hair. <laughs> he has his hair going. That's good for him. Um, I keep thinking the boat scene's going to happen. Now it's going to happen. I, I kept thinking that was going to get to the action scene. Now we're going to maybe get to the action scene. <laughs> it's like there's like three, there's like three or four big set pieces, right? There's this boat chase. Mm-hmm. There's a there's a, um, a big fight on a thing. <laughs> And there's like a cannon helicopter thing. It's the movie. I mean, it doesn't like rely on the action, but it's like what it goes for it. It goes for it. Yeah. yeah. Say, we're talking about um, failed adventure movies um, at the time. The year before this was Hidalgo. Of course. Yes. Hidalgo. Oh, yeah. That I, was uh, early 2004. Yes, it was. Um, oh. March. Um or April. I think it was March though. I remember there there was a time where like wasn't there like oh, a, a a vibe on like the social media like people are, are hungry for like an Indiana Jones type movie. It's like, no, you're not because you, you're not going to that. <laughs> you're not seeing these movies. Yeah, March. Like, it was March. Joe John it was a Joe Johnson movie. Um I uh, was uh, bored and hit all go and I fell asleep <laughs> in that movie. Granted, I I was in a I had just come out of a track meet. <laughs> we went to see it was like a Friday, so we went to see Hidalgo afterwards. <laughs> so I was just tired from that. But I don't recall being very entertained by Hidalgo. I remember liking the idea more than liking watching it's okay. the movie. Okay, it's not. Yeah, it didn't do anything for me. I remember it had Omar Sharif. I remember that specifically because he had a big smile and it's like I saw with my dad and he was like Omar Sharif is a (laughs) it's like it's like the tagline for the movie pieces it's exactly what you think it is (laughs) that's gotta be his last movie right Omar Sharif Hidalgo (laughs) that's Mm. probably it isn't it sorry what was the question Hidalgo I was gonna say Hidalgo's gotta be like his last movie but no I'm way I'm in his wrong. final performance, Omar Sharif heads back to the desert. One no, he was in. Uh, <laughs> oh, he was okay. He was in Rock the Casbah, but not the Rock the Casbah I'm thinking of. A different Rock the Casbah. <laughs> yeah, he had a few more in him. He was in ten. He was the narrator of Ten Thousand BC. That Omar Sharif. Why are we talking about Omar Sharif so much? Uh, let's I've go actually back. never seen that one. Ten thousand. Roland Emmerich's Ten Thousand BC. Mm. 
Yeah, it, it's a, it makes a good argument to be his worst movie. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's no. why I've avoided it. It's not it's, good. It's, it's really bad. Yeah, <laughs> it um, uh, it's the beginning of his um. What, what what kind of effects can I really get away with? Period, because mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like like day after tomorrow looks pretty good. Ten thousand BC does not look very good. Roland Emmerich's Apocalypto. Yeah, basically. Oh. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we're now at the boat action sequence, which I like, <laughs> and this is where the big brassy stuff comes in. But also, you have like you know Rain Wilson and Steve Von Zivzon mm-hmm. like comedying it up, <laughs> right? It's a big yacht. Anyway, um, Breck Eisner. Yeah. Where where is he coming from? <laughs> where where is he getting a hundred billion dollars to make a This is a crazy thing's after, right? Yep. Um he, Well, uh, Michael Eisner's his Michael father. Eisner's son? Yeah. Oh, well, there you go. That 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 probably didn't hurt. Uh, <laughs> he has like what one movie before this? Uh yeah, yeah thought, thought crime TV movie. He was oh that Taken miniseries. That was a Spielberg thing. Uh, he made yeah he did a Sound of Thunder, did Thought <laughs> Crimes. Uh, his remake of the Creases is I think it's pretty decent. It's yeah yeah it's, yeah no I, actually it's really good. I'd say it's his best movie of yeah. the five well, movies he's made. <laughs> like, but, it's better than the last wish. Last, bleh, last the last Witch, Witch Hunter. Hunter yeah. Oh god, yeah. He oh, he's been directing the Expanse. People love the Expanse. Uh, okay, there. That's where he's been. Um, yeah, he's done fourteen episodes of <laughs> he's that. Put in Amazon jail. <laughs> uh, <laughs> by the way, there's this shot right there where the uh, where they basically take the boat out by it just drives on land, but it has this wild shot of the captain like, oh no, I'm going to explode, and he doesn't. He just kind of goes on land. It's mm. like, you're fine, dude. Like, calm down. He's okay. <laughs> but that shot of the of the boat coming at the camera basically it broke the camera, mm-hmm. which is like a two hundred fifty thousand dollar camera. <laughs> so, oh, <laughs> add to the tab. Worth it. <laughs> That's the kind of runaway expenses we're dealing with. I'm sorry. <laughs> Apparently, we're just breaking down cameras. So, Breck Eisner uh, uh, wants a production aid on Tango and Cash. Oh, must have killed it. So that's where he got all his connections. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I can't like from a directorial standpoint. Like, movie's fine. Like, uh, no, he doesn't push the needle or reinvent the action movie, but he is able to handle it. And like, I can see what's going on clearly, which is a weird thing to have to remark upon, but in 2005, <laughs> you know, right, right as, Even then, right as it, the born stuff's going to take off. It's yep. like, yeah. I mean, it's a clear action movie. It looks like McConaughey's doing stunts. Like I can see things. Well, McConaughey was doing a lot of stunts on this one. Yeah. That helps. Yeah. He's got big arms in this movie. They like to show off his arms here. He's always wearing like no sleeves. Um, and there's like there's good like comedic rhythm I think to this for a movie that's like had you know like you mm-hmm. said it's kind of rough and tumble. The idea you also have to keep this banter between him and Zahn as well as William H Macy like it plays it well. Um, the banter between Zahn and McConaughey, intentional or not, was felt like a riff on National Treasure, where you have uh, the the quirky sidekick who sort of acts as an audience surrogate, comments on the absurdity of everything. True. It's something that would be very popular in the Marvel films, I think. I mean, but that's not like new to movies in general. No, of course not. Kind of thing. I mean, um, even Indiana Jones, that's like the basis and the, that becomes the thing in those movies after, yeah. the, fir- after the first one. Um, I mean, then this is also, you know, he has a friend named Al in the books. Like, I mean, that's the best part of the thing. What's National Treasure? November 2004? 
Yes. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, months before this. Oh, yeah. Uh, it wasn't the, one after the other. It's just a matter yeah. of oh, yeah, what yeah, it reminded yeah. me of. Sure. And But this is the less successful version of that, right? Disney yeah. did their thing for a Thanksgiving release of National Treasure. Does well. <laughs> Get a sequel. And then, you know, two years later, everybody shows up for the Da Vinci Code. Yeah. <laughs> which is, what if we made a movie like this, but boring? Yeah. And and shockingly bad. Yes. <laughs> what if we got like all of the talented people? What if we got Howard, Hanks, Tattoo, <laughs> McKellen, every, everybody? What if we got all of them? We were like, we spend how much money? And then we just completely shit the bed. And then we're like, wait a minute. Did anyone read the book? Yeah, it's awful. Oh, well, that didn't help. <laughs> like, well, how about for the sequel? Let's make it. Let's acknowledge that it's awful and have fun with it. Who did the script? I'm assuming it's Akita Goldsman. Oppenheimer. <laughs> oh, what, of, what do you mean? Of, of this movie or? No, no, no. Of, oh, of, of oh. Da Vinci Code. Oh, we're still riffing on that. Okay. Or <laughs> <laughs> um, was it? It wasn't Kep. I assume. I think it's Gold. Like that's Howard's guy, right? Yeah, I think so. Let me see here. I was thinking longer to look up than I realized. Yeah, Akiva oh, Goldsmith. Yeah. They blew up his boat. Yeah. yeah. Akiva Goldsmith. Yeah, the Dingy Code is, it is awful. That is a, <laughs> that's that's got to be in like a, a good top 10 list of like worst, like huge block, but I don't know. That's, that's, that's a lot of worst bad blockbusters. That one's pretty bad. Ron pretty- Howard has made a lot of very, very, very good movies. Yeah. But Da Vinci Code and Grinch are two of the worst blockbusters ever made. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're really poor. Um, oh. Like in, in terms of like ratio of talented people involved versus quality of film, that's got it's like yeah. it's something special with how that's <laughs> like Grinch has like an excuse to a point where it's like, well, it's not like Jim Carrey is not doing his thing. Oh what no, he's Tom, terrific. I don't know it's what Tom. Weird. I don't one know. of his best performances, one of his worst, and probably his worst movie. I don't know what Tom Hanks' excuses. Like every no. every choice he made is wrong in that movie, from the hair to just his like smarminess. It just none of it's working. I, I will say on Hanks's part, it, and he made three of seemed, them. He made three of these movies. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think it's his equalizer, in man. Retrospect, yeah. <laughs> I think Hanks was getting a little ahead of the curve because he saw the IP storm coming. Uh, <laughs> I do because even back then it was like, well, this is an interesting. You know, Hanks doesn't need to be in a movie like this. Well, that's so that's Sony contract. <laughs> <laughs> um, but here's where the movie turns into Ishtar, <laughs> figuratively and literally. <laughs> Do an Ishtar commentary track. Um, there we go, coming soon. Real camels. I I wonder like the name Dirk Pitt <laughs> beyond the name like you the are obsessed with Dirk Pitt because it's such a <laughs> it's such a like there are 25 novels of some guy named Dirk Pitt and people are just like I can't wait to read one of these that just intrigues me so much. hey you drive down there you take you go to the light take a left at the Dirk Pitt and then you uh... <laughs> but like what so like what is this guy he, Dirk Pitt he's a archaeologist is he even an archaeologist? He's a he's a scrapper. He likes <laughs> like treasure and stuff, and like he's still. It seems like he's not even like a treasure. Well, he's like he's like former Navy lines. SEAL, right? Like he's got him him and Steve's on. They're like both mm-hmm. former SEALs, and he's because it, it's like it's you know I don't think McConaughey's bad in this movie. He lobbied for this part, like he wanted to play this character. He wanted to do like a 
you want to have a thing like this, right? You want to have like an adventure series that you can fall back on, which why not? You know, 25 novels, sure, makes sense. But it's like, I, I well, I don't think he's bad. I do wonder like if he, if there's like a read on his character that he feels like he got out of the way. Like when we're introduced to him, he's, you know, he's coming out of the sea, then he's shirtless fighting people. Is he is he particularly knowledgeable? I guess we're supposed to assume so. Like he knows plenty. So, um, but technically, he's he's in the air. He's from the he's he was previously a in the air force. Vietnam okay. pilot. Yeah, uh, okay. McConaughey had been in Vietnam. Apparently, he trained with some seals for this movie or something like that. Maybe that's mm-hmm. why I'm crossing my wires. I'm not, I think he's sort of like, and again, this is a very loose comparison. You know, kind of reminds me of MacGyver. The there you go. He's sort of yeah. a purpose do-gooder. That makes Granted, sense. Granted, MacGyver doesn't generally kill people, but whatever. Um, well, even Dirk Pitt's more like a, if I have to, I have to. Yeah, exactly. Scenario. Yeah. The heat of battle. Um, but even then, I remember being, I guess, pleasantly surprised when I first saw this film, as you had the hero that was introduced shedding blood. Here's a Raiders uh, so, um, homage yeah. right here. Uh, he's also, uh, Dirk Pitt's a marine engineer working for the National Underwater and Marine Agency. Um, he's graduated from the Naval Academy. So he's, he's got some cred. Yeah. I think he has one of those, you know, sort of generic military slash adventure backgrounds that sort of explains yeah, the opening why credits he knows give... how to get in and out of any situation that we might encounter. The opening he... credits ideally do this for you because it's showing you all yeah. these newspaper clippings of all of his backstory essentially to like get you associated with who this guy is. It's just like I, I'm trying to think like, does the movie do this job of like of McCon- does McConaughey allow you to like get to know this guy? Like by the end of this movie, are you like, I need to see more of this Dirk Pitt because of all the stuff that I learned about him? And it's like ideally it's cause, just because kind of his screen charisma that should do it for you. But yeah, like, and I think to a certain extent that's you know it's 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 the star is bigger than the character. That's fair enough. So I but I wonder like is it because like Harrison Ford is just Harrison Ford that we like Indiana Jones and because Sean Connery's doing his thing at the time or Roger Moore that we like James Bond because I also I feel like so. but I do and I don't I don't obviously yes they're great you know they yeah. they clearly have screen charisma at the same time. I feel like I walk out of Indiana Jones feeling like I know who Indiana Jones is or I know who James Bond is. I don't like I'm just trying to like analyze like where is it that the disconnect is that just didn't think because it's McConaughey. I, you leave a McConaughey movie having seen McConaughey, he's that kind of presence. Like yeah, he's he's yeah. you know, it's like the same way in the first two or three Mission Impossible movies where Ethan Hunt is just Tom Cruise. Oh, Tom Cruise doing action, you know, Tom Cruise action hero. And yeah, the films get a little bit more you know, character detail as they go along. Um, and you know, by the end, they're downright autobiographical. Um, but especially for the first Mission Impossible, he's almost a blank slate. Yeah, I mean, and that's those films are, and we've thought we've talked about these, but like those yeah. are interesting because like the first one is like it's a hit because Tom Cruise is starring in an action movie. We haven't, yes. we haven't seen that since Top Gun, basically. Yeah. So it's like that's new. The second one is like, well, they made a sequel to that movie we like because it was Tom Cruise in an action movie, plus it's John Woo. So it's the like, hair. Yeah. yeah, it's like it had, <laughs> it had everything going for it in that regard. Lip the third, biscuit. Then it's interesting because it feels like people caught on by the third one. They're like, it's just Tom Cruise again. Yeah. It's like a movie made yeah. money, but it, you know, it certainly took a and you know, Tom Cruise is also not the most popular guy in 2006, right? So no, yeah, like, that, that got well, that, caught right into a storm of 
stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but that, that movie also tries to acknowledge by going, okay, we need more to this guy than just here he is for an action movie. That one opens up the story and gives him some life outside, which tri- will drive yeah. the next better films. It, that yeah, come it, after it, it. It, it certainly tries to because it, as we've done, like it feels like a TV pilot more than a yeah, movie. Yeah, no, it's one. yeah, Al- alias the movie. Yeah. Yeah. So, and the, but then you get Brad Bird and uncredited McQuarrie coming in. It's like, we should do more with this. And then it becomes its own, its own thing. Like it's, it's a fascinating series in that regard because of like, yeah, the stylistic choices from directors, but also what do we do with this guy? That's just Tom Cruise being person. And then it's like, well, yeah, we found the answer. Well, we're going to replace him with Brad Pitt. No, no. Oh, we're going to hand the keys to Jeremy Renner. No, no. <laughs> it's just mission impossible again, but done. Awesome. Um, Back to talk about this movie a bit now, because we're at like this as we've been doing these parallel the inciting plots. incident has finally happened. Yes, basically. Yeah, because Penelope Cruz and Glenn Terman have found why everyone's dying in Africa. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> these it's because these assholes are doing bad things. Um, I do like we talked about already the idea that it's doing a lot of character work. It's effective because I don't want Glenn Turman to die right now, and he's going to, and it's sad. Yeah, I feel bad for him. And, and the movie crazy. takes a few minutes to mourn him. Yeah, yeah. and it's just, it's a haunting scene from her yeah. perspective. It really and effective. You know, you know, she's still sad two or three scenes later. And um, in this sorry. interesting turn of events, the movie has separated McConaughey and Zahn from her, and they're kind of on their own thing, and then they are forced into reteaming and going again rather than just joining up right at the get yeah go which does work as far i can see this work i haven't read it as i mentioned but i can see this working in a novel where you have different chapters kind of you know detail these things these parallel storylines going on and i do think the movie is successful in finding ways to weave them back together again guys this movie's pretty good but you can hear about the novel on out now with air to name book club saturdays where we <laughs> novelizations of movies we talk we like to talk about so yeah and they eliminated glenn turban mm-hmm. uh, evil lenny james <laughs> with hair with hair <laughs> Um, this is uh, what like Jericho would that start a year or two later then yes around the same time give or take that's right he had that show I was trying trying to think of between Snatch and Walking Dead I know he pops up in a lot of that's that's where yeah that's where he kind of started getting on people's map was Jericho as a CBS show right across from uh, last month's commentaries uh, Screed Ulrich yeah Oh, I saw an image of Ski Ulrich in, in the in Cursed in the cut that he's still oh. in. Oh. I saw an image of it. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's, yeah, he looks like Ski Ulrich. <laughs> As someone that's only seen Cursed once, I would totally fail a quiz of who's in which cut. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've only seen it once, but just recently. So I'm pretty fresh on my <laughs> curse knowledge. And I mean, that movie's not good. You can see the ideas. But you're also, but then like Shout Factory and Scream, they're like, yeah, we're getting cursed out there. And remember that like six hour period where we're like, oh, they got the original cut and then they don't have the original nope. version of Cursed. <laughs> so we're, so it's not without trying. That, that, pro- yeah, the of same course. thing with Hard Target a few months ago where they're like, we have the super unknown, never before seen version. No way. Oh, it's just that, that unrated version that's already yeah. been there before with a couple extra things. <laughs> there is a, there is a work print version of that available it's like a 
a VHS rip of, of hard, the of, hard tar- target. That's a rip. solid suspense sequence, by the way, where she has to untie her yeah, yeah, before that the well. pull up. Yeah. That's a, okay. Because <laughs> I watched this a couple days ago <laughs> for the first <laughs> time in 15 years. There's a whole scene, there's this whole action scene happening. Steve's on and Matthew Gone are going to fight people. And then it gets to a point where like Matthew Gone is almost going to, you know, get shot. And then Penelope Cruz shoots him at the last second. And I'm thinking, how where'd you get the gun? They, there is a quick, there's a quick insert shot of the AK-47 falling down the wells. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know where she got that yeah. gun from. <laughs> this movie's put the effort in. Yeah. Where she gets the gun during this climb up the well that she's doing, I'm not sure. But I mean, it's in there somewhere, apparently. Oh, yeah. This, I love when he shoots the tires to smash the guy under it. That's like that's a, a cool move. That's Because it's PG-13. He can't kill him. Yeah, he can't, he, yeah, he he can't hit him. Blow his head. head off. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's a move coming up where Matthew Gunn, hey, grabs onto a camel's neck and swing kicks a guy. That's fun. Oh, yeah. That is, oh, yeah. That is, it's like a dicking around move, too. You're just like, ah, you know what? I'm going to do a little extra here. It's like a Jackie Chan thing. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it, like, it's, entirely... <laughs> it's like so nonchalant and effortless, too. It's awesome. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. Here there we go. Goes. Here we go. Here we go. This is so good. Like, what's he going to... Oh! And I, I guarantee that took like 20 takes to do. <laughs> <laughs> that was, that's not a one-time thing. They were like, oh, we nailed it. We nailed the one time thing. you want a gag reel. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see. This is not Dirk Pitt's first cinematic journey, of course. There was a 1980s Raise the Titanic. Definitely a movie that exists. I imagine about a similar fate because there were not more Dirk Pitt movies after that. Before they raised the roof, they raised the Titanic. Mm-hmm. It had Richard Jordan as a... Octopussy's Richard Jordan. Oct- Octopussy's Richard Jordan. It had Jason Robards in the uh, William H. Macy role. And then Ann Archer. And Alan Guinness popped up in there for some reason. Oh, okay. So, yeah. And again, you know, pardon me if it sounds like a broken record, but, you know, this is a movie that I like because it takes its violence seriously. Uh-huh. It, it very much you know, does. It's not yeah. a grim yeah. picture, but it acknowledges, you know, the, the the inherent drama of its story. It's fun and has consequences. That's, that's yeah. the yeah. thing. Uh, yeah. Like, look at Penelope Cruz. She's not happy. <laughs> she survived, <laughs> but she's like, she's pretty sad right now about what's going yeah. on. Here's where you can really see the mustache on, on Dirk Pitt. Mm-hmm. It's really coming out now. <laughs> TP. So Scott, here's a question for you. We're sure we're at a time where it is the IP that drives things. It gets audiences to like go to a theater. Granted, the you know if the quality is good, great. That's wonderful if that works out or whatnot. But like, what's the solve if we can't keep doing this? If like you don't if you were if we don't want to prefer this, like what's the solve to that? I think Hollywood needs to figure out a way to solve its star system problem. And, you know, it's, it's because the difference between then and now is that when people showed up for movie stars, they would show up for original content or new to you adaptations or high concepts. You know, they'd show up for Hitch because it was a high concept Will Smith rom-com. They'd show up for, you know, whatever Jim Carrey was up to or whatever Tom Cruise was doing because the the actors and actresses and in some cases the filmmakers were the franchises and were the brands mm-hmm. 
right now, frankly, Netflix has that advantage. That's the one one of the things they're doing very right is that they are getting lots and lots of people to click yes on something like, you know, Red Notice, which all due respect is terrible. But when you're sitting at home and you just have Netflix on, oh, it's a big action comedy with Dwayne Johnson, Ryan Reynolds, and Gal Gadot. I will hit play on that. Um, you know, it's 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 you know, a different example, you know, Sandra Bullock's The Unforgivable, which had huge, you know, it's one of their top 10 most watched movies, allegedly. Um, and that film has nothing to offer except that it's a Sandra Bullock picture. It's a very dark, grim, slow burn drama. What series um, of star power movies led people to not trust them? Like where, where, or it's just more of a phasing out, right? It's more, think of it like, was, it, it's more, it's more of over time. We just, you know, action stars got older. Yeah. The, the kinds of movies, as Scott, you play nobody like, to like, replace them. Nobody of? replace yes. them. And then you, and you have Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter starting this wave of like big fantasy stuff. That's not necessarily driven by the, star. but in terms of like the mid level, uh, the, the rom-coms, the dramas, the stuff that would make a dent going away like what what ones let them astray what stars could they not uh, bank I for think, that? simplistically speaking i think the mainstream theatrical comedy took a real hit in 2016 when several of them flopped mm-hmm. while deadpool kicked ass yeah. and when people who wanted to go to the movies for a laugh they went to deadpool they went to the secret life of pets and the marvel movies um, I'm sorry. And the Marvel movies. Oh yeah. And to a certain extent, the Marvel pictures. Um, but that's like coming pretty late in the game at that point. Like yeah, in terms well, of like, it, in terms of Brandon's question, like when are stars fading out? Like, like, I, um, I feel like, like now, like they'll, they'll go see Sandra Bullock. They'll go see Denzel Washington. They'll go see DiCaprio. And then after that, there's yeah, give or take some people yeah. they might gamble on. Like Jennifer Lawrence wasn't opening huge, but she could open. It's on like yeah, McCarthy maybe. or not even not, even, not seemingly not anymore. That was like a short window. Yeah. Right? But yeah. like Kevin Hart to a degree, like some comedies, some like stars that mix it, even the rock to an extent, depending on the project. Yeah. <laughs> um, he he's in an interesting situation because he, he generally needs IP, but he's usually bigger than the IP. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but I mean, you know, simplistically speaking, you know, I'm not the first person to say this, that, you know, the cost and access to your favorite celebrities via the internet, whether you want to know what they're doing or saying all the time or not, has sort of diluted the appeal of, you know, you can only see them on the silver screen. Yeah, that's, um, you, you, you know, for example, and that's one reason why marquee characters, not even IP necessarily, but marquee characters have supplanted actors and actresses as the primary draw. Yeah. You know, it's, 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 you know, the Hunger Games was huge because of Katniss Everdeen. Harry Potter was huge because of Harry Potter. You know, Twilight was huge because of Bella and, and Edward and to a lesser extent, Jacob. Um, I guess also, there's I gotta guess, be, a, there's gotta be a right place, right time aspect of some well, of these also. How oh, absolutely. Absolutely. The Hunger Games was the right place, right time because it kind of sold itself as the opposite of Twilight. How do you, you get know, like uh, knives out to happen more often? That's, I guess, I'm sorry. The, how do you knives get knives out. out to happen more often? I guess that'd be the well, outlier. Before COVID, I would have said that there are five essential ingredients for a breakout studio programmer. You need an all-star cast. You need a marquee director, relatively speaking. You need an easy pitch. You know, people, what is this movie about? It's not super complicated. Um, good reviews and the promise of escapism. 
that, you know, even if it's about a serious subject, you're going to have a good time at the movies. Uh, and we saw that working, you know, Knives Out, Baby Driver, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Girls Trip, uh, Crazy Rich Asians, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I don't know if that formula still works post-COVID. That's why, you know, Death of the Nile was such a scary disaster. Uh, do I think that film absolutely would have done as well as Bird on the Air Express? You know, in, in had it opened in late 2019 as intended? Maybe not, but it would have easily cleared it 200, been better. 250. Yeah, it would have yeah, been yeah, better yeah, than yeah. it did here. And it would have been good enough. And the, and the, you know, the press around it wouldn't surround like f- four of the stars yeah. have controversial things involved. In <laughs> yeah. <them. Right. laughs> and while I don't think that moved the deal in terms of people seeing or not seeing the movie, I don't think it helps in terms of that's the front of every search result. Exactly. That's that's the yeah. yeah that's that's the bigger. Point. I, I think the people that care so much about the, the army hammer eats people were not going to it in the first place and yeah not going to the movies and because I think generally speaking, uh, who is yeah, the, exactly. the thing for army hammer? Like you know, army hammer is a classic example of the kind of guy that Hollywood kept trying to convince you was a star. Like and getting back to something Brandon brought up, you know that's. You know, the expression I always say is they spent, you know, 15 years trying to find the next Tom Cruise. They should have been looking for the next Will Smith. And one example of, you know, one consequence of that is that we have, you know, we, we had no new stars for like a generation and a half. So we're still banking on like the Nicholas Cages and the Tom Hanks and the Julia Roberts. We had Taylor Kitsch. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, he, he got abandoned. <laughs> um yeah. Here's Delroy Lindo in one of his two scenes in this movie. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I, I has, forgot he was in this movie. Till good I for them for you like, know oh, yeah. paying his rate for two or three scenes. I, yeah. I did it because for one thing he's Delroy Lindo. It just he works for me, but also it, it he I like the last scene that he's in quite a bit because that, yeah. that, that that stuck out yeah. with me. But I I completely forgot that he's just not in this thing. I remember that he's in this movie. I forgot that he's not in this movie pretty much at all yeah it's, it's literally two scenes it's this and the end that's it like, he's just not no, he's someone that you you know he feels like he has a bigger presence just because partially of who he is he's no, he always you know. yeah he always does that so i mean um like you know to use an obvious example when i was a kid it didn't even occur to me that bd wong was only in jurassic park for one scene uh-huh because i and kind that- of associated him with you know large portions of the first act of the picture sure and now he's the Thanos of the Jurassic yeah, franchise. Yeah, now he's the big bad motherfucker. <laughs> <Huh>. Yes, <laughs> education motherfucker. His long hair and his little vest. Oh, yeah. the trailer with his that. Like, what is he doing now? He's all depressed. It's amazing. <laughs> you know, I, I, the only arc? thing that trailer didn't have was a you know it didn't close out with you know a pitch dark lab with him cackling in the night as thunderclap. Uh, that's that's it needed that and it needed a scene of I uh, have cloned John Hammond. <laughs> don't don't act like that might not be a thing that happens. I, in this want, movie. It, I want it to happen now. <laughs> don't act like we're An not army of Hammonds <laughs> to defeat the Why dinosaurs. CG Attenberg comes out of here along with like Mr. DNA, <laughs> like fighting. So uh, Delroy Lindo, like, is this like, is it the next year or the year after he headlines uh, that high profile flop on NBC that was a hostage? Or a mm. rans- It was a ransom show about. It was supposed. To- it was when everybody yes. was getting into serialization, and this show was about like a kidnapping and ransom of a child. So it'd be weird if he was in a show called Ransom after being in the movie. <laughs> so I, I don't think it was Ransom, but let me think here. Uh, kidnapped. It was just kidnapped. called Kidnapped. Yep. Yeah. Yep. 
Uh, that was a oh yeah, I remember that with Jeremy Sisto. Flop. Yep, with Jeremy Sisto, mm-hmm. I remember this show. Yeah, yep, that was yeah, one of that was then. Uh, we're all gonna find our lost uh, era or twenty four. Mm-hmm. We're gonna find God something there. We got a lot of bad shows uh, that lasted a season <sighs> for like four years, but yeah. I, I do remember being amused at the marketing campaign for Ransom. Because Delroy Lindo is in pretty much the entire trailer. And yet when Billing comes up, he gets fourth behind Gary Sinise, whose only scene in the trailer is Gary Sinise. <laughs> and of course, they were just hiding the fact that he was the bad guy. Well, which they reveal really are like, I remember thinking yeah. that that movie was going to be a mystery. And then I was like, yeah. oh, we know it already. Okay. Um. Yeah, it's another case that where the, the the marketing reveals something seemingly pretty big, you know, the whole, you know, the press conference that Mel Gibson gives halfway through the movie, mm-hmm. so it can hide other stuff. Yeah, Ransom's got some moves. Like, Ransom's, yeah. Ransom's some good sturdy blocks. That is a good Ron Howard movie. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Starring last month's commentaries, Leah Schreiber. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, this whole sequence right here, Steve Zahn kicks the ball and it winds them into the room that has all the exposition they need for where the boat's going to be. <laughs> That's it's, right. um, it's silly, but you know what? They got them there. <laughs> I can't complain too much. See, like right here, you can't tell he has a mustache. Yeah. It's just a shadow under his nose. Yeah. He's just like, oh, yeah, he's got a goatee. Or he's got, he's got you know, a big five o'clock shadow. <laughs> it's real. Over the course of this movie, Matthew McConaughey basically looks like every single Matthew McConaughey character you've ever seen. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, I, I, I have no doubt in my mind if I went to Fool's Gold and watched it, <clears throat> yeah. I'd feel like I'm watching another Dirk Pitt adventure. I mean, you know, he's, 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 yeah, he's just, he's, he's, he basically plays all, all of them Time to Kill, Lincoln Lawyer, uh, Fool's Gold, Frailty, yada, yada, yada. Kevin Hart's in Fool's Gold. <laughs> So I did not know cast. that. Yeah. I apparently need to watch Fool's Gold. I'm curious close, now. Cl- close your eyes. Now, ma- <laughs> now imagine that treasure. What? <laughs> I'm not going to say that Sarah is the most progressive movie in a film that stars two white guys and features it's evil Africans. trying. Af- Black features, villains. Features, features evil Africans. At the same time, though, it is a well-rounded, <laughs> it's a fairly well-rounded cast yeah. as far as the supporting players. It, I mean, it, it does have positive Black characters in addition to, you know, the villainous Black characters, which is more than, you know, the nature of it's set in Africa as opposed to we deliberately, deliberately needed to have Black, yeah. black He's villains. using Notepad. I love it. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Look at those huge no, I, I, Even when I, you know, saw the movie in 2005, it, it did stick out as something that was at least trying to be about something. It wasn't, mm-hmm. you know, definitive about you know rich white people poisoning poor black citizens for profit, whatever. But you know, it's got and it's also the kind of thing, you know, in a sort of a pre-Avatar era where a movie like this would not be considered political because mm-hmm. you know. Murder for profit is generally a nonpartisan bad thing. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, I mean, it's about the hunt for Confederate gold against evil black people. Well, <laughs> that too. <laughs> Oddly enough. Oddly enough. But um, it also, you know, it, it yes, some of the villains are 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 black, but you know, again, as you know, this is my own personal thing. I like seeing, you know, non-white guys getting to chew scenery. Equal right. opportunity villains. Exactly. You know, I want more. Right. But, you know, it's I always joke about you know three hundred about how there's no Jewish villains. 
Yeah. He's like, you know, I want representation in that movie. Damn it. Well, I mean, um, yeah, I, if, if there was this movie and it's about going to Africa and all the villains were white and everything was, I was like, yeah, I don't know. Uh, well, you know, just, the, just the, make the villains cool. Well, that's, yeah. that's my thing. Yep. The rich French guy is also evil and behind most of this yep. anyway. <laughs> it yeah. also doesn't hurt. But then you also have like what the the like the Bedouins or what have you that are like helping them, which is like I don't know if that veers into stereotypes too much or whatnot, but they're also positive. So I don't know what to think. Anymore. He's from like, uh, December's commentary, The Matrix uh, Reloaded. <laughs> no, I, I think it's a film that is is aware of its pitfalls and is careful to try to avoid them um for better you know yeah no, um, I, hear you. I mean this movie is like largely inoffensive like on any yeah. degree like it's, it's yeah because it's much like indiana Jones movies they're yeah. not they're you know they're so occupied with the rough and tumble adventure mm-hmm. aspect of it it's not really focused on like making sure uh, certain parameters or even less than indiana jones as far as that because indiana jones is despite being you know an homage to 30 serials type stuff it also has like temple of doom specifically gets called out plenty it has to like move around to certain stereotypes or whatnot mm-hmm. that yeah. don't send the most positive images of things that happen like india and what have you yeah um oh, Kessler, I, 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 I'm sorry Kessler passed away last year or in 2020 i did not know that yeah he was 88 I, I do love the old, the always the online discourse, but uh, no, Indiana Jones should be returning stuff to the, like, he was busy fighting Nazis, dude. Yeah. <laughs> he, he didn't have time to return artifacts to their rightful owners. He was busy well, fighting the, Nazis. All the actually, th- oh, people love this thing. I need to take it down. Yeah. He famously doesn't think things belong in museums. That's, that's yeah. the other thing also. <laughs> or deserve to be studied. Or, you know, respected in their own way. Like, or, remember how he completely steals the Ark and he says, look at it all the time. <laughs> did you it's know? Because his face melts off bit by bit over the years. Did you know uh, Batman is a wealthy guy and he can take his money and instead of, like, fighting corruption and crime, just buy hamburgers for people? Tell, 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 tell me you've never read a Batman comic. <laughs> like that's, like, that's, I that's will what I'm laugh in a positive way if that's what the Batman's actually about. Because I'm starting to think, and you know, whatever. I think that's what the movie's actually about. Mm. Is, you know, sort of confronting that, that stereotype. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's as good a reason to make another Batman movie as anything. Mm-hmm. This uh, camel stunt, the camels, them jumping off the camels onto the train, done practically. Mm-hmm. And yeah. while they did camel training so they could ride the camels, they couldn't do this. So they had the same the same stunt guy did all three of these people. Oh, <laughs> like, wow. God. So they, he, he played Matt Vigadahe, Steve Zahn, and Penelope Cruz jumping onto a train from a camel. I hope they paid him three times. Mm-hmm. But yeah. the magic of movies, it doesn't look like it, right? No. This right. is just, no. really convincing. pretty good. Practical. It looks like you got the three of them jumping onto a train for camels. Take note, book of Baby Grogu. I'm yeah. Boba Fett. <laughs> <laughs> the security guard. So I, this is a, I like this scene a lot. This is like, and it's like the way he moves around the corner and the train's on the curve. And he, like it's just, I don't know. It's very simple stuff, but it's still like mm-hmm. effective. Well, and it also it provides entertainment value beyond just the stunt work. Yeah. It has character beats that are fun. Mm-hmm. Um, that it's it's very swashbuckly. 
like this is good stuff. It's like I know you can't just like tell people to see a movie, even though I guess that's the point of marketing. But it's like this was a solid movie. Like, it's doing its job. Yeah, I really want to see this. It's a shame. Let's see more of this. And I like Scott. You've seen Uncharted at this point. I haven't seen Uncharted yet, but I I don't. It's not going to be this good. <laughs> and, and this, oh, good God, no! And even this <laughs> is just like you know, like better than average. Like, Look, I mean. Dora and the Lost City of Gold is a better action adventure film than Uncharted. Mm, swiping and swiping. <laughs> you know, there's a there's a thing too. Like, I mean, we all love like practical effects work and stuff like that, but you can do the CG stuff and what like look at like Fury Road. That's not all. I mean, there's some yeah. clearly there's some CG. There's some assistance from it there too that you can do. And when it just all looks like fake like uh, what danger is tom holland in jumping off suitcases in the air in 2022 um but the, those type of adventure movies we went for the thrill of watching the danger of uh the production value like things like that like i watch like i love uh william freaking sorcerer because that movie when i watch it just looks so dangerous like no one died making that and that is just stunning um but with the adventure movie, there has to be a sense of real danger for the actors. And I don't know, maybe it's just because I'm my age, I've grown through these adventure movies and seen so many um, that it's like that. And kids nowadays are the CG really immerses them. But to me, nothing in Uncharted looks like I have to worry about anybody or it's going to be thrilling in that aspect. Well, Uncharted, I don't want to talk too much about Uncharted because I haven't seen it yet, and right. you have, and I don't want to delve into it. But like the 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 whole issue I have to begin with is like that's a game that's riffing on Indiana Jones. So to make a movie based off the game that's already riffing on another movie, it seems so redundant. Like it's just yeah, like, it's a copy like, of the copy. It's yeah. just, and like, what am I supposed to get out of this? It's like there's no purpose to it beyond Tom Holland's on a Sony contract because of Spider Man. Make this product, make more product, make more Tom yep. Holland product, get it out there. He doesn't have to wear a mask. It's even easier for us now. We just show up mm-hmm. Tom Holland's face all the time. Well, I think part of the issue is that, you know, I don't know whether the audience craves this or whether the studios think the audience craves this, but there, to a certain extent, there is a subgenre of action film and it's not just superhero films where the hero is basically invincible and you, you know, the film very intentionally never puts them in any real danger. And, you know, you can do that if you have other people in danger. You know, no, you know, Batman's not going to die, but he's going to dismantle the bomb in time, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But too often, there's even not enough of that. As long as the autopilot's where, fixed, he can. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's, you know, I know Die Hard is an obvious example, but Die Hard is a film that works partially because you're in a position where the story can still come to a natural and satisfying conclusion, even if John McClane dies at the end. Ergo, there is suspense and tension as to whether or not John McClane is going to die at the end. Um, and I think to a certain extent, we've lost that. And even something like Mr. Possible Fallout, where, you know, Ethan Hunt is basically invincible. A, there's still pleasure in watching him get hurt. He's like a ragdoll. Suffer mm-hmm. for our, you know, for our whatever. And there's tension in the idea of, you know, can he save the day without, you know, letting other people get hurt? I mean, the fallout's mm-hmm. tense as hell when he's trying to, like, disarm this bomb on the side of yeah. a cliff at the last second. And it all 
I mean, yeah. it's, root, it's rooted in McQuarrie's ability to juggle these characters and you care about whether or not they make it through all this stuff. And yeah. it's it, like, I mean, the, pro- the problem we're having with this is we're talking about like the top tier examples. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's what, you yeah. know, it's like, yeah, Fury Road. Great, right? Well, yeah, it's, it's the best. <laughs> I mean, like, it's... But you want to aim to be the best, so... Mm-hmm. Um, or even something like Taken, you know, you know, he's probably going to save his daughter at the end, but, you know, not to be crude, but what kind of shape is she going to be in when he gets there? Well, it's also, uh, the, the, with Taken, it's the promise of, it lays it out early on that Liam Neeson, an actor that you respect because he's Oscar Schindler and he's this respect, yeah. he's this venerable actor. He's telling that a man on the phone that he's <laughs> going to tear ass all over, <laughs> all over Europe until he gets what he wants. So the audience is sitting there being like, this guy's going to fuck some people up right now. And I need to see what that looks like. It's not about, is he going to be able to do it? He's going to like, what's he going to do to them? That's, that's the curiosity of taken right there. And that's why yeah. it's just, that's why, that's why having sequels is just like, like you did the thing the first time. Like, what are we going to get out of this the next time? And they, did, yeah. they did not answer that question. Instead, they side skirted it by being like, what if he like has his daughter throw grenades or some shit? Like, is this is nothing interesting anymore. It's just like nonsense, which goes like death wish where it's like, what if she got raped again? <laughs> by the way, this is a terrific character scene we're seeing here. Oh yeah, William H Macy uh, trying yeah. to convince mm-hmm. the you know sympathetic bureaucrat that you know it's not that he doesn't believe him, but it's like you have no evidence of that. You know, you have no cooperation. What am I supposed to do? Basically, asked me to commit a war crime. You know, on this theory. Um. Yeah, they're they're roped off in the back of this thing. Scott, do adventure movies like this tend to do well? I mean, right now we're in a situation where the only stuff that does well is based on the murky character. I mean, right now, no, is my answer to that question. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. at the during like one um, more of these were coming out. Like well, they used to be cheaper. I mean, if this stuff had come in at like seventy million dollars, we probably would have at least broken even like, over the, the long other- haul. What are the other versions of this? I know Brandon, we were trying to think of this earlier. What are the other failed adventure? But there's like adventure movies in general, right? I mean, I guess like the mummy movies. The, yeah, the third mummy didn't do too well, did it? Like that was third mummy did fine. Fine. It, it, yeah. Yeah. it did four hundred million. They're just like, we can call it a day here. That was yeah. pretty much the response to the Tomb of the Dragon Emperor. Um hmm. uh, yeah, there's National Treasure, which did really well. Uh, and the sequel, yeah. which also did really well, and it did like really well. And for or, some reason, I don't know whether they got jitters after Sorcerer's Apprentice bombed or what. We throw but, uh, Blood Diamond in this. Uh, that's a weird. Suppose. That's a weird combination. Throw, like, on that's the one such hand, a violent movie. On Jesus. the one hand, yes, because it's it's glow. It's not glow, but it's like you know, it's an ex- exotic location type thing, and you it's a, and mm-hmm. it's a heavy. It's like. As much as you want to knock it for like the prestige thing, because it has DiCaprio and Jaimon who are both nominated and they're both great in it. Mm-hmm. It's also like a very gun heavy Edward Zwick action movie. <laughs> like it has yeah, a lot right. of action. And it's and I like Blood Diamond quite a bit. I think it's really good. It's a really watchable movie for oh, yeah. two and a half hours about the horrors of like the diamond trade. Um, but so it's it's a kind of two-hander, I but did that movie make money though, Scott? Was that a success? No, it did 172 on a hundred million budget. Oh, there you go. oh and yeah. we have yeah, well the pirates movies can count in here. Those are doing really, <laughs> those are doing really well. Yeah. The first uh, Zorro was successful. Zorro, uh, yeah. I'm I'm looking at uh just trying to figure this out with th- we got uh like you you could argue yes and no on Stardust, even though it's science fiction, it carries a lot of 
It's like fantasy. Fantasy, yeah, stuff. Unless I'm mistaken, nobody saw that. Nobody. It's very good, but nobody saw it. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, I did. You get <laughs> land, uh, land of the Lost, Journey to the Center of the Earth, Journey. Yeah, Journey does well enough pre yes. pre Avatar 3D. It makes what like 300 billion or something like that. Yeah, so like, and the second one did very well as well with the, the rock. Sec- yeah, the second one we're like, well, we can't get Brendan Fraser because I don't know why, but um, <laughs> <laughs> but we got The Rock apparently, so we'll do that, and we'll throw Michael Caine in for good measures also. Uh, and there's a poster of Michael Caine on a B, and why that's not on Netflix, I don't know. Uh, they just like I, I know the movie's on Netflix, but they're not showing the Michael Caine B posters. It seems mm-hmm. like a mistake to me. <laughs> <laughs> like when I opened up Netflix, it should basically be. Don't look up Red Notice and Michael Caine B poster from Journey <laughs> to the Center, <laughs> right. uh, the Mysterious Island. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking through here, but yeah, this is happening and not at the same time. And it looks like there's plenty of success stories with this type of movie, and this is not one of them. So the adventure no, genre, no, King to- Kong, come King on, King that counts. King Kong, yeah, King Kong, of course. <laughs> But I it's think, like unfortunately, most of the ones that were successful did have some kind of fantastical element. I mean, even Pirates of the Caribbean, there's a case to be made that they're the they're secret they're sauce was the you know ghost pirates. Well, the, yeah, there's a supernatural well, thing. That's a hook. Mm-hmm. That's a, that's a hook for yeah. it. Yeah, because I mean, you don't title the movie "The Curse of the Black Pearl" first time out because you don't want people to be curious about what the curse of the Black Pearl is. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah. So, okay, so adventure movies do tend, which makes sense, I guess. And, and then comic movies are just like a natural extension, or the superhero movies are a natural extension of that because it's the same thing, but with capes. So, I mean, yeah. what do we get yeah. in the 2010s? Uh, I mean, we, there's the Laura Croft Tomb Raiders and the okay. OOs, and then we get another Tomb Raider of this kind of like not yeah, Marvel, yeah. like not Marvel. Will we get what? Not, two? In, not in the we city get, where we in- get two more Pirates movies. Um, cave dwelling, treasure hunting, jumping around mountains, deserts, that type of yeah. I'm trying to think, like, what they got. Um, I've got in the wait, 2010s, I've got Tomb Raider, and that's all I can think of. I mean, uh, in terms of that's not James know, Bond um, action adventure. I mean, the last two Planet of the Apes movies, kind of, yeah. um, even then, those are like dreary, depressing action yeah. movies. That was all the like more a, impressive, they were like successful. A, yeah, <laughs> I think that's that, that, that's that's a down payment on the fact that the first one like surprised people with its yeah. quality, mm-hmm. and they're like, we want to know. No, the second goes. one was a breakout sequel. Yeah, but yeah, like sw- like swashbucklers. Like, where where are the swashbucklers of the 2010s? That's a fun question. Well, John Carter. Uh-huh. John Carter. Yeah, I mean, there, no, there next month. Well, that's I mean, that's the thing. Really, it's a lot of failed examples, right? Like, yeah. Tomorrow, yeah. like Tomorrowland's not a swashbuckler, but it's the same kind of thing. It's mm-hmm. like, what, what if we did a live action adventure movie? It's just more sci fi leaning. Well, I think what we start seeing, unfortunately, is the the franchises, the IP starts swallowing up everything else by filling, you know, meeting the supply, you know, supplying the the, the demand. Guardians of the Galaxy fills some of these check boxes and does other things. Guardians of the Galaxy and Fast and Furious, and you no longer need a lot of that stuff. And there's a lot of books, right? We have, you know, like like the Percy Jacksons and all those. Yeah. Uh, Let's see, Sorcerer's Apprentice is National Treasure 3, just not with the things that you want. Um, from that specifically, Narnia. Yeah. Narnia ends in 2010. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, uh, the Clash of the Titans movies, right? Those are let's go in there. Kind of, yeah. kind of, sort of. Yeah. Sword that and sandals. Works. It's sword and sandals are swashbuckling <laughs> to a degree. <laughs> mythology and stuff. And, ah, yeah. 
But audiences are hungry for it. So we, <laughs> we really need that. Uh, I guess it, just, it just leans into sci-fi. I think that's the thing. It would get away from like exotic locations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we don't do location shoots. Like that's a lot oh, of. I'm like, I'm just trying to glance at lists, and it's like a lot of X-Men movies and Marvel movies, and 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 uh, like the the Revenant. I mean, it's yeah, like it's something it's, like you know the last couple Predator movies. Uh huh. Life of Pi. I mean, it's like there's not like swashbucklers. <laughs> God, the Life of Pi made more than all these ones that we're talking about. The, the Hobbit, the Hobbit Jesus. movies, I guess, like come into play here. Right. Um, Bond. The is last back. Tomb Raider did two seventy five and a ninety budget. The Kingsman movies. Yeah. But yeah, I'm trying. I can't find like a like you know globe trotting adventure movie. Gosh, that's like a, this could, kind of thing. I Mission War Impos- movie, but 1917? Like Mission, Mission Impossible's, you know, they're coming out. I mean, it's but it's all it's all yeah, it's all franchise stuff or like things that's you know, it's not this. <laughs> it's not we're going to yeah. desert. We're not, no, we're not going to deserts and jungles. <laughs> the two things we can do. <laughs> <laughs> Star Wars does it. They're in deserts and jungles. <laughs> yeah. And that's that's you know, it's especially the first season of The Mandalorian was very good about telling old school adventure stories within the star wars sandbox mm-hmm. um so this to get back to sahara real quick um this is the uh, this whole plane thing is part of the original opening of the film oh in the, yeah. in the original opening of the movie you had the whole um the ironclad boat stuff and then you cut to this sequence featuring um kitty manic who was a famed um she was like an amelia Earhart type character I love this scene, by the way. We're talking about this, this this whole thing right here with the music playing and everything. But like, she was she was trying to set a flight record going to like from like London to South Africa and was like lost and whatever. They filmed her crashing basically. Didn't test well. Was weird with the pacing because you have one opening sequence, then you have another opening sequence, then you get to Penelope Cruz, then you get to McCarthy Conley. It's like we got to cut something. So mm-hmm. they cut this whole plane crash out that cost two million dollars. So there's <laughs> another, another two million dollars out the door. <laughs> they cut all this stuff out. But that's this plane that they find up in the desert. It's the plane of Kitty Manic, this character. If there's a deleted scene where they find like her skeleton in addition to this plane that they also had to cut out because it made no sense to have it anymore. Um, so you have just the remnants of this. That said, I like the like that's this is the that's the most defining of like what Dirk Pitt is supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Where he and his friend can just come across an abandoned plane in a desert and be like. Oh, we can do this, and they make it into like a sail ship on the sand. That's really cool. Like that's a cool thing. I like, <laughs> and it makes sense without the context. Yes, yeah, so you don't need too much knowledge yeah. beyond like these are capable guys, and the basic logic suggests that they can get this thing on its wheels and use the wind you know, and save themselves. <laughs> you know, today before the film even came out, you'd be saying we're going to have a you know streaming series about the origins of that plane, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. Speaking of which, I mean, we're talking about National Treasure. Uh-huh. You have two hit movies. They pivot to Sorcerer's Apprentice for whatever John Turtletub and Cage were on at that point. I'm like, yeah, why not? And now we have what's the follow up? Not, not in a time of legacy sequels. We're not like, let's get Cage and Diane Kruger and um, and uh, what's his name from Hangover, uh, Justin Bartha from from Gili, uh, mm-hmm. back together. <laughs> no. Instead, let's make a Disney Plus streaming series that doesn't involve any of those characters and now stars Catherine Zeta Jones for some reason. Yeah, like <laughs> if, if you went to dig her up, like what? <laughs> okay, what, what are the what is Diane Kruger, Nicholas Cage, and Justin Bartha doing? They can't make a mm-hmm. What's John Turtletop up to? It's what? 
I'm a, I, I'm, cool runnings documentary. What's going on? We get, I right, like yeah. Ben Wheatley, but I wish John Turtledub was directing the Meg Two as well, because I think he did a very good job. With yeah, what, did, what what got him out of Meg Two? <laughs> he made a successful movie. <laughs> um, no, you're you're absolutely right. It's nuts that you know we should have gotten a National Treasure three ten years ago. Um. What's Turtle Top doing? What's his next movie? He doing? Does he have a next movie? He had the Meg and he's done two episodes of Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist. Hmm. And that's the issue is unfortunately, you know, there's less studio programmers being made and a lot of the blockbusters are going to, you know, Indie Darlings or Sundance Good. Breakouts or whatever. So there's a lot less feature work for, you know, people that just, make movies <laughs> you know the the old school craftsmen um like on the one hand like cool that you get to see a diverse yeah. selection of younger directors getting a chance to do certain things at the same time it's like there's a lot of solid you know folks that just know how to make movies that yeah wouldn't be bad to see a, a movie like this again <laughs> or a movie like national mm-hmm. treasure just come out and do its thing and I, I think part of the reason the meg works is because it was you know he was a you know an accomplished you know, nuts and bolts filmmaker who just, you know, knew what to do. Um, now, we're talking about this movie like as if it's, you know, amazing. And I do think it's pretty good. And you guys like it. Yeah. The critics hated this movie for some reason. Like, they, were, they were wrong. Like, here, let me, mm-hmm. I'm going to read you some blurbs <laughs> from Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, some, gosh. Because here's, here, here we go. Here, here's, here's Rex Reed, famous, uh, 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 very agreeable person. Uh, despite the vast beauty of location settings in Morocco and Spain, the vast lack of chemistry between the two stars is appalling. <laughs> Richard Roper, not on screen together no. all that much, but okay. No. Richard Roper, it drove me crazy. It made National Treasure look like a documentary. <laughs> okay. All right. Let's see. The, from the Village Voice, Sahara is many things, but it's not a movie. It is the skull-splitting cacophony of 21 producers and four screenwriters that we know about anyway, standing in the same room, shooting into their cell phones, shouting into their cell phones. Again, the plot and story is pretty coherent to me. Here's the fair, here's the, the fairest one. It's not a terrible film. It's not particularly good either, but it's certainly no disaster. Okay. <laughs> oh, that's a compliment. I mean, you know, I you you've seen this twice in in a week. After, you know, it's it's it works. It's it's a decent movie. I mean, I like it more than a lot of people for various reasons. I think it hits a lot of my check boxes in terms of what I want in this kind of genre picture. Mm-hmm. But just beside that, it's just you know, it's a sturdy, well made, really expensive, practically crafted action adventure film. Well, that's the thing. Like, it doesn't, you know, it's not like we're waiting for the Eisner cut because this was like famously yeah. chopped to pieces. Right. It's like, this is an entirely coherent movie that doesn't feel like it, it's been hampered with in the post production or anything. It feels like a movie that knew what it wanted to be and was that thing. And it's handsomely produced. It has capable action sequences, it has stars in it. It's unique for itself as far as. Like, I don't know how else you'd sell it to people. Before. They just, yeah. just said, it's, it's, I don't want to see it. It's intelligent without being, you know, Naval gazing. Yeah, very um, true. When does this go on to Netflix so people can be like, this Matthew Ganahe <laughs> flop has turned into a super success? <laughs> <laughs> or I guess we on Paramount Plus. 
Yeah, Paramount Plus well, needs to be more popular so it can be on Paramount Plus and people can talk about it the way they talk about fucking Bone Collector on Netflix. It's on Paramount Plus. Hey, yeah, I've been begging all Plus. of them to give me viewership data so I can write stupid posts like that. But until I get information, you mean I more stupid posts like that? Yeah, exactly. Thank you. <laughs> it's not a soft spot at all. You're not, you're not poking me in a sensitive, wounded area. No, not at all. Or some salt on that wound, why don't you? <laughs> <laughs> the the um I I used to, I forgot that there's like an action scene after this involving like the fucking cannons and the yeah. that they're trying yeah. to find the whole movie. But I so I completely I thought that this was like the climax of this thing because I remember this very specifically because it's pretty intense. Like I really like the like this is as bond as it gets, right? Here you have this like oasis in a desert and it's a huge machine. And McConaughey and like the main henchman that's not Jaws, it's Jaws in a turban, are like fighting <laughs> on top of it. And it's it's and it's like it's it's pretty wild, like watching all this stuff play out. And I was and watching this again, I was like, this is where the movie ends, right? It's like, oh no, there's like still like 20, 30 minutes of this movie after this. We got some stuff to see. There he is. And there's some solid fight stuff here because I just don't know where it's going exactly. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, they're on a tall thing, so somebody has to fall off. <laughs> like, how's that going to happen? There's a helicopter, so it's got to crash, but Penelope Cruz is in the helicopter. Uh-huh. Boom. Oh. It's not like a camel. It knocks him down there. <laughs> uh, to his credit, Ebert gave it a solid three-star review. Did he? Yeah. You sure? I'm looking at it right now. What was I watching? <laughs> I was looking at something else, maybe. I could cross my screws. I'm sorry, what was that? I was trying to think. Is I maybe I'm thinking of some other movie that's similar that Deaver didn't like. No. Well, but good on him. <laughs> he knew it was up with Sarah. <laughs> yep. He always had a soft spot for, you know, unapologetic genre stuff like this. Mm-hmm. Because he that's what that's what it is. He didn't like National Treasure. That's nothing. I mean, yeah. He like two He's stars. right. I'm not big on National Treasure, to be honest. Yeah, it's whatever. It's it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is much better, frankly. Um I I I think it, what it gets me with National Treasure is like, well, it's not Da Vinci Code, therefore good. Like that's kind of, that's, that's kind of fair. my logic on it. <laughs> I'm assuming more fun than that picture because I'm the, it, oh, it's more spirited, def, definitely more fun and spirited. But I just I remember the like when that was coming out, it was getting because Da Vinci Code was in the works, and that was like it had a teaser trailer. People were going nuts for fucking Da Vinci Code <laughs> at that time. And um, I saw that in the checkout counter at the grocery. And I, I remember, like, the, you know, people were seeing National Treasure being like, is this stealing its thunder by being its own thing, even though it's not connected to all the controversial stuff? It's just a Disney adventure film. <laughs> and it comes out and it does well. Then Da Vinci Code comes out. I was like, oh, this is awful. So, whatever. <laughs> Makes $700 million. Hmm. Now, that movie opened with 77 in May of 2007. Yeah. Uh, it's ridiculous. <laughs> Sound like near the front row in that fucking movie too. <laughs> so much. Is that what I specifically remember too? When McConaughey like falls off the thing, is like, oh, where's this gonna go? <laughs> What's gonna happen here?
just watch McConaughey fight a guy. Meanwhile, like Steve Zahn's doing like the heavy lifting down below. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's always how it is in these movies. Yeah. You know, the, the main hero kills a villain, saves a girl, and a sidekick actually saves the world. Yeah. Uh, same thing with, you know, and I, obviously I love it, but Mask of Zorro is the same way. You know, Catherine Zeta-Jones is the one freeing the prisoners. Yeah, she's doing the heavy lifting in that movie. Yeah. National, National Treasures, Kathleen Zeta-Jones. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> and then in The Legend of Zorro, it's the kid that runs actually saves the day while the you know husband and wife are exacting their revenge. You're asking me to remember that movie. I, I, I assume it involves nitroglycerin in a train in some capacity. Yeah. I forget the exact plot of it, but I do remember a horse having a reaction shot. Um, that <laughs> <laughs> His eyes open wide and he like runs the other direction. Mask is right. Yeah, Kath- Catherine said. Now you got me saying Catherine, <laughs> Brandon. But uh, Catherine. <laughs> but uh, she gets a trailer shot where she's like has a big gun and she shoots the lock out and frees the prisoners mm-hmm. and everything. How have we not done a Zorro commentary? It's like one of Scott's top to. ten movies. It's like, a great movie. I, that four K came out and I revisited it. Was a year or so ago. I was like, man, this movie's amazing. I always like a shot that holds on the guy falling and shows him hit the thing. Yeah, I always love <laughs> yeah, him hitting. It's really fun. <laughs> it was like, oh. Like, I feel I like we, we, had a, we, we, we had a phase of people falling off and they cut away at the last second with a reaction shot of the guy going, mm, let her. And then we got to a point where we're like, let's just show him hit the ground. <laughs> Goldeneye. Goldeneye was yeah. like, oh. Gold, Gold that was Nine, shocking yeah. in Goldeneye. Goldeneye yeah. was a good, yeah. The poor bastard was still alive. PG-13. Then the epitome, of course, is the other guys with The Rock and Sam Jackson hitting the ground. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know, you know, coincidence or whatever, not coincidence, whatever, but I didn't see the other guys until like the Monday after opening weekend. And Mm -hmm. I did not know that particular plot point. I thought Sam Jackson and Dwayne Johnson were going to be supporting characters. Yeah, they uh... I was I was a little sad. (laughs) I was I was sad to a degree, but it's like, for what I I admired the like, hell out of what they, they did. Are, but. Well, no, they, the comedy is the comedy, but the, the yeah. they are so big in that movie, like how they're playing those roles. I'm like sitting there thinking, twenty minutes in, this they can't be in this entire thing. Like that'd be like there's that's too much wattage of like comedic yeah. stuff going on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we need to like <laughs> we need to focus on the other guys, like but the Rock and Sam Jackson are like they're so huge, and so it's like oh, naturally they have to die. <laughs> It's so fun. <laughs> like that. That's maybe my favorite thing that happens. Or not, uh, that uh, McKay's done in a movie. Like it's just, yeah. just that sequence. <laughs> the the amount of build up and the the shot that holds on them falling down to their death. <sighs> yeah. So we got we got out of this whole like exploding um, solar panel thing, mm-hmm. and now there's like a whole action scene involving like, this helicopter mm, and classic car. car yeah. yeah, there's like a lot of this. Movie ain't done. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, said a... was, I said this was quite expensive too. So I'm like, I forgot a lot of the expensive things that happened in this movie. Yeah, it goes for for what it was lacking during that, you know, period that you were talking about earlier on in the film. It just does non-stop for the finale. Yeah, no, like the last 45 minutes of this movie are pretty action-packed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. People didn't want to see it. I wish they made these kind of movies again. Well, you didn't go see them in the first place. You you made them stop. You told them with your wallet you didn't want them. Now, the now, you have, now you have Uncharted. Congrats. Now you have fucking red notice. 
like Uncharted, I get as far as well. Yeah, you're eventually going to do this. I don't agree with doing it, but fine. But yeah, things like Red Notice, where he's like, what if we just didn't try? (laughs) 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 Well, that's our that's our theory. (laughs) What if you just needed a click and not money? And now they're making two back to back. I just hope they try. <laughs> like that's that's they have if they have to shoot four hours worth of movie, someone has to put in some effort, right? That's <laughs> right. <laughs> okay, so this comes out April eighth, two thousand and five. Trying to think, where's the the weekend of this? I found the day, and I've I saw all of these movies. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, come on. Okay, there we go. Weekend. Okay. Okay. This is a, there's a lot of stuff going on here <laughs> as we talk over this action climax. So Sahara's out, also coming out Fever Pitch from mm-hmm. the Fairly Brothers, which I also saw, which is pretty good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> saw it on an airplane. By default, that might be the best Jimmy Fallon movie. <laughs> well, just that and uh, Taxi. It's not Taxi. <laughs> that much right now. Yeah. <laughs> I like almost famous, but you know, I'm weird, I guess. Oh shit, yeah. You know his <laughs> his leading man career. <laughs> I, I did enjoy his recent turn as the villain in Marry Me. Yeah. <laughs> I mean he's fine and whip it. Like he does his thing when he needs to. Yeah. But um let's see. The, Thank you of movies where people don't show up and they say things they say they want. Uh-huh. That's my villain origin story. <laughs> as they say. Let's see. This is a week after Sin City's number one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was yeah. People were going to Sin City. That's I was, I was big excited for Sin City when it came out. And, I think I saw Sin City on opening afternoon and then stayed late for a test screening of the annual horror remake, which I actually enjoyed. Oh wow, that comes out the week after. Huh. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I knew who Ryan Reynolds was, but I wasn't you know obsessed with his comedies, so. And that was one of my first exposures to him. It's like, oh, he's a perfectly good dramatic actor. Fair enough. Yeah. Because uh, I'm <laughs> I like him in certain comedies now, with like I get well, Deadpool's kind of tailor-made for his kind of thing. Yeah. But like his his shtick was not working for me then. So like it mm-hmm. wasn't yeah. <laughs> even him doing drama, I was like, I don't want to see Amityville horror with Ryan. <laughs> this, is not, this is not my thing. And then again, like the nines happens, like he's good in the nines, I like this. Let's see. Guess who? With Ashton Kutcher and Bernie Mac, the cinematic mm-hmm. equivalents of um, Spencer Tracy and Cindy Plavia. Um <laughs> <laughs> Rocket in third place. I saw that in theaters. Um, and I was at home from college. So I assume I saw that because it was like Passover weekend. <laughs> Guess who came out? <laughs> Let's see. Never saw Beauty Shop, the spinoff. Uh, of uh, starring the Equalizers, Queen Latifah. Correct. I did right before the third barbershop came out, just because I had I had never seen any of those up to that point. Uh-huh. So I very quickly watched the previous three. It's fine for what it, I mean, you know. <laughs> did you watch the other two barbershops as well? Yes. Yeah. And I think they're both okay. I actually like the third one best. You can hear I- his thoughts on his new podcast, Talk and Shop with Scott Mendel. I'm <laughs> <laughs> right. It's a minute by minute analysis of every barbershop. <laughs> yep. Yep. Talk and shop. There's a lot of weeks about Cedric the Entertainer. Let's see. Robots. Remember Robots? I do remember Robots. I do. I have that on DVD. I've never seen that movie. 
It is definitely a movie that was made by Blue Sky. And Aaron's That's right. That's why I've never Aaron seen it. Aaron is 100% <laughs> correct. <laughs> even then, I knew. Oh, I think we even did this on an out-and-out game, but not too long ago. But the cast of this is amazing. I'm gonna just, <laughs> this it's like amazing. Robin Williams, right? It's, it, well, right yeah, you have Robin Williams as, in a, in a movie called Robots, you have Robin Williams playing a character named Fender. Just think about Gosh. Robots that have Ender in their name and realize yep. that Rob Williams plays one named Fender. Um, but you have Ewan McGregor, Halle Berry, Williams, Greg Kinnear, Mel Brooks, Drew Carey, and Amanda Bynes. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's not all. There's the second tier of cast on that, probably on that poster as well. Jim Broadbent, Jennifer Coolidge, Stanley Tucci, Diane Weiss, Paul Giamatti, and Natasha Leone. Jesus. It is, it is a, it, like, you know, DreamWorks gets, like, bashed for this kind of thing, but this is the shiny equivalence of, let's just cast a bunch of big names and, like, see what we can do with this. Robots. Drew Carey. Drew Carey probably has, like, four movies, and that's one of them. It's robots. Yeah, no, no it's, <laughs> you're not wrong. <laughs> like, who has more movies, Drew Carey or Matt LeBlanc? Like, that's a, that's a bunch of <laughs> questions right there. <laughs> Yes, I will look up Drew Carey now because I'm curious if how many movies he actually has. And that's not even that's not that's not a slight on Drew Carey. It's no, no, he's just not. He's not. He's not a he had guy. a he had a sitcom and an improv show. Like that's that's his thing. And he's wealthier he's than any of us ever will be. Yeah, I know. He's a stand-up comic. He's a game show host. Well, that's pulling. Up. I do like that this action climax is different in that they're screwing around to do a single action yeah it's not like we're punching henchmen or blowing up cars or whatever it's this one specific target that we're using this one thing to you know launch a cannonball eventually and it's all about you know the 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 bit by bit of how that's done um and it's just fun to see them working on for a cannon yeah you know, like you're trying to figure this out because teamwork makes the dream work. And it all like, you can talk, I mean, that's the nature of these kinds of things. They have to connect in some way, but it's like the chase from the, you know, the poison plot led them to the damn ship that they're trying to find the whole time. <laughs> and now it's like their sanctuary as they try to get rid of the people from the poison plot. And the treasure's there. It's like, everybody wins. It's the... Yeah, this is... I mean, it's almost video game like as far as, you know, fulfill all these objectives to achieve one goal, which is get a cannon out this shoot. <laughs> Drew Carey, yeah. Not a lot of movies. Uh, no, he plays himself in uh, himself Adam, most Sandler, of these. Adam Sandler yeah. movie. But there's like, um, no, he's like, there's robots. There's aside from extras work, like, play it to the bone. But he's an extra in that. He's an extra in Coneheads. Yeah. Like, He's, he's, so Matt LeBlanc wins this round, guys. <laughs> so that's, that's the take over here. You win, Matt LeBlanc. Mm-hmm. You and your monkey baseball movie. And passed out now commentary lost in space. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Back on this top 10, Miss Congeniality 2. Oh, armed and fabulous. Armed and fit the very same. <laughs> Saw that in an airplane, too. Uh, the pacifier. Oh, double feature, Aaron? Uh, possibly. No. <laughs> the pacifier in its sixth week. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's yeah, when that's like, when uh, Diesel and The Rock went for their Hulk Hogan 
phase of and that was vid diesel's like one hit between the fast and furious movies and yeah triple x that was that's when uh um, cannonball there we go there we go need more cannonball deaths in movies <laughs> offhand it's like this and franklin gella and cutthroat island <laughs> yeah <laughs> well, right. unfortunately every time they do it it becomes one of the biggest bombs of all time gettysburg <laughs> has a couple i think Probably, <laughs> but yeah, but and like the Patriot, there's some guy's head gets lopped off of yeah. a cannonball. Yeah. But like in terms of like main villain deaths, cannonball deaths are pretty fun. Because <laughs> yeah. you can feel the pain. Like this one is like a helicopter splitting. Cutthroat Island is like Gina Davis just blows the fuck out of Franklin. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Does anyone die from a cannonball in the Pirates movies? Like they blow up ships oh, in I'm those sure movies. They do. I'm trying to think specifically though. I think, no, like, no, they, no. Like I think like none one, of the main villains. None of the main no. villains. Well, because the main villains are like it's you know Jeffrey Rush and, and Davy Jones. <laughs> yeah, and I guess Tom Hollander's ship gets blown up by a bunch of cannonballs, but like not yeah. you know him specifically is not killed by a cannonball. <laughs> one of the pirates does, but he also survives because he has the curse mm-hmm. of the Black Pearl. Of course, we can't die. <laughs> <laughs> and it is a curse. How, how does Chow Yun Fat die in that movie? He gets like stabbed, I think. Right. It's really he boring. Scared. He gets impaled by Trapnell. He gets yeah, he gets stabbed, and it's like, why'd you get Chai and Fat for this? It's like good for him. Not paid. And you have to wear like fish scales, like Skeleton Skarsgård. <laughs> God, he looks so like that movie's <laughs> those pirates movies. They look good. Mm-hmm. They spent money. All the gory details. The pacifier we talked. Yeah. That's, yep. That's that period too, where Jason Statham's like, "Haha, I'm still doing action movies, and I'll never do kids movies ever." Um, and then he joins them all for the Fast movies. <laughs> They're all friends. Um, the Ring too. Oh yeah, yep. T W O Ring Two. Yeah, it should have been Ring Two with an exclamation point. T O O. I probably would have sold more tickets. Uh, the Upside of Anger. Um, that and Open Road are the times where I'm like, "Oh, this Kevin Costner's not terrible all the time." That was sort of sold as his comeback as an actor vehicle. Like, Upside of anger? He can act. Not yeah. open road? Or open, open, uh, road. open range? Uh, open range basically, is... no. I mean, different? everybody loved open range. It was a solid hit. Mm-hmm. But I think the Upside of Anger was sort of sold as his... You know, because it's more of a drama, not just another yeah, Western yeah. of Kevin Costner. Yeah. And because that was a three, that was like a three-hander with Robert Duvall and so yeah. his follow-up to Dragonfly. That or he has he's got to he's got to have something between Dragonfly, and Kevin Costner's Mothman like, prophecies. Who did oh, Dragonfly? Who did Dragonfly though? Real quick, that's somebody that's like a comedic uh, guy. Kevin Reynolds? No, no, it's not. Is it Kevin Reynolds? What am I thinking of? Hey. Maybe I'm confusing with White Noise because they're exactly the same movie. I guarantee it. Um, but the director of it or the director of it? Yeah, Tom Shadiak. Tom Shit, there it is. Tom Shadiak. Yeah. Oh, because he's a comedy guy. <laughs> for for Dragonfly, right? The Nutty Professor. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Tom Shadiak did that. Ace Ventura. Yeah. Because I was watching the Liar Liar on the new Shout Select thing, and I was like, "What is Tom Shadiak also done?" And it's like, "Oh yeah, the, the Nutty Professor things." And oh, Dragonfly. <laughs> <That's-> <laughs> <laughs> that is a really odd. Set. Yeah, and that's before he had like his bike accident that made him go all like you know health crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and a minor detail here, you know, we were talking about similar. Yes, they're going after Confederate gold, but they don't keep the gold at the end. No, yeah, I mean, but, but William H. Basie does negotiate for a new yacht. 
Yes. And, and his daughter's passage to college. Yeah. <laughs> and, and of course, <laughs> and I love that it's played like basically lighthearted where it's like, we need Del Rolindo back for what? So we can poison the rich Like It's such a shady way to like leave off of this guy. Like he deserves it. But at the same time, it's like, the tone of this is like, isn't this oh, yeah. fun? Isn't this, isn't, isn't this ending montage fun? Everybody's getting what they want, and we're poisoning this guy. He's gonna die soon, <laughs> <laughs> and probably the guy next to him too. And look how fucking cool Delroy Lindo looks all of a sudden. By the way, just walking out. Boom! Yep, that's a good shot. Just like <laughs> a catching shot. a glimpse of him looking. Yeah. <laughs> it's like he's, that guy died like that's that's what, that's what this movie's doing right now it's like remember him he's dead killed him he's not gonna be Sahara too <laughs> <laughs> and the uh i mean it's like this movie you need to, like it has to end with like well i guess we need to get cruz and mcconaughey together have they been romantic at all in this movie not particularly not really <laughs> it's not uh, really not really a tension there a but. professional flirt yeah and even now it seems like it's kind of like not into it It it's like i guess they're still playing with each other but like they're hanging out just alone Uh, steve zahn's not there where is this going i guess they'll kiss like why not going to pound town (laughs) it's like okay i guess that's how we're ending well yeah it's it's, you know they're both two ridiculously attractive people why wouldn't they you know hook up even if it's not particularly emotional, fixed up the car. They did. They did fix up the car because that car was messed up. I think mm-hmm. we saw. The movie. So they kept some of the gold for probably fools' not, gold. Probably not cheap to <laughs> fix up a car like that. Yeah. And, that and that's Sahara. Right. Hitch was uh, in the top ten too. Hitch was number eleven. Dirt <laughs> uh-huh. will return, and nope. I wonder if oh, it says oh he's in he's in the new Jordan Peele. No, I didn't know that. Yeah, him and Michael Wincott. <laughs> Michael Wincott is Dirk Pitt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that Michael Wincott's in that movie. That was a happy surprise. Oh. Maybe he plays the cloud. <laughs> <laughs> you ever seen a cloud talk like this? Speaking of I'm movies glad. that open around this time, I'm always amused at the, you know. I think it was a uh, February-ish where Hide and Seek opened to $28 million. Oh, boy. By falsely selling the idea that Dakota Fanning was going to be a killer. I mean, you can't say falsely. Like, it is... Like, it's it's a misleading. Yeah, they were selling the potential of her going bad Seek. That's why I wanted to see it. Well, I mean, but you're supposed to think that that's kind of the thing in that movie, though, right? Like, you're supposed to be suspicious of everybody. Yeah, and then it takes the most obvious route possible. That was yeah, like, yeah, that's the best. <laughs> identity comes out. It's like I guess we could all do this and just kind of get away with it. Like, <laughs> 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 like, like how many? Like it's it's amazing how many movies are like. What if you know it's just the guy the whole time? It was just himself. Taken <laughs> or not taken? It was uh, taking lives, right? Taking lives. Oh, yeah. It's like, what if every movie just the most obvious sub- suspect was the one doing it the whole time? <laughs> <laughs> Like, I know, like, we try to convince you, you know, who was caught red-handed, basically, and then we're just like, no, it wasn't him, though. It was somebody else. Yeah, it was him. It was him the whole time. That was the whole thing. Was the whole thing. 
I don't know how, but somehow I figured that out from the preview. What identity? Yeah, identity. I just for some reason is like you don't suppose this is like the three in the adaptation. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. That that would that's a fu- it is a fun version of that movie. I think that's probably because of like the actors they got involved in that. Yeah. Uh, my issue with identity is that they have the big reveal and there's like a half an hour left. I but see. I like that, that though. Nothing. None of this matters now. But that's that's what intrigued me by it more because yeah. like, well, where do we go from here if it's all just like Molina and Cusack and or, or whatever Peru Taylor Vince in a room? Like, what's What's the outcome of this? Is like, I guess he just feels happier. Like that's, that's such a <laughs> that's such a weird choice. Then he's like, no, he's not happier. That fucking kid's still there. Like, what's going yeah. on? <laughs> and that was my issue with the cell, you know, fifteen years earlier or whatever. Is that you know they you know basically uh, what's his name Vincent Ofrio is immobilized by the end of you know near the beginning of the third act. So like, there's really no reason for him to her to go back inside other than to like make him feel better it was like so what because well, she's just like that I, I what i like is that 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 and that's i think why ebert gave it four stars is because it's <laughs> she's she continues to want to do her job properly mm-hmm. like i i res, i respect that she had respect for her position to want yeah. to, help, to want to help his soul and not just oh. leave him and then they still define the girl right and they have to still define i the, think they already knew where she was at that point i could be mistaken i, I saw it I, once on opening night it's a little close I, I saw it pretty recently it's a little closer yeah. to you know the end when they actually like find her but like yeah. yes they, they do get the solution yeah with enough time for jennifer lopez to still be like hanging out inside vincent Alfredo's mind yeah. to do what he needs to do that movie's pretty i remember the movie like it's not as sick now watching it just because we've seen so many fucking saw movies but i remember thinking <laughs> it's pretty sick when they have like vince von's intestines hanging on a thing for a oh, second yeah. yeah it was controversial in its day there's some rough stuff going out of that movie but it's all stylish it's um, tarsome i also uh, liked that frankly it was one of the more realistic movie serial killers the side of uh, buffalo bill yeah no it did and it's quite unique it has him hanging yeah. from like hooks in his body the, yeah. you know, like there's like crazy stuff going on in the cell yeah and what i was going to say about that identity also another reason why it's great brandon is because it's secretly a western that's the other it's thing secret, about it. it's secretly a <laughs> that sounds like an in-joke but it's it's our it's everybody's favorite. James Mangold mm-hmm. makes you know, oh right 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 right, right. right yep. secretly a western. Um, I was pumped for Identity back in the day when it came out. I was pretty excited by it, what? and I was like, I was like, oh cool. I I was wanting an old Agatha Christie style murder, murder mystery, and I got not that <laughs> something else, something else. <laughs> but it was it was fun to watch just that cast kind of play in that sandbox a bit. Well, 2003, you know, as we've talked about on the Brandon Peters show, Gross Point Blank's like my movies. I'm like, John Cusack's mm-hmm. leading a murder yeah, mystery? Fuck exactly. Yeah, let's go see this. John Cusack, <laughs> McGinley's great. McGin- yeah, yeah, yeah it's, it's like, like, has a host of Ray Liotta. I mean, right. he, like, he's got a host of people in that movie. Um, And, you know, back then, you know, when people went to the JBC. movies in general, you weren't necessarily JB. sabotaging the entire industry by giving the one Agatha Christie movie in the marketplace, a goofy gonzo bananas reveal, Mm -hmm. you know, it's saying, I don't hate serenity, but you know, in a world where very few people are going to show up for a tawdry erotic film noir, anyway, having the one turn into some weirdo video game plot isn't helping. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That movie made choices. Um, Uh, uh, We didn't actually talk about like, the money in this thing it's smart we just reference it as a flop but this movie what it opened to 18 
Yeah, it opened number one with eighteen million dollars. Not bad. Not bad. Not bad. Again, it's, April, it's a budget movie. situation. Uh huh. I think it made about what one twenty two ish. It made one nineteen worldwide, sixty nine yeah. domestic. Um, but yeah, produced one sixty budgets. <laughs> mm. <laughs> um, and you know, not even counting marketing <laughs> for this. Yeah, thing. they they spent a pretty penny on this. Like, all told, Paramount, probably around two fifty. Like Paramount went all in. You know, was, you know they they're the studio that brought you Indiana Jones. Why not yeah. make another one with the well, a huge marquee star with Matthew McConaughey? And you know. Mm-hmm. And now it's oh. one of the most expensive flops of all time. So it's right, 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 right. And I'm sure they'll make a, a new Clive Custer streaming show on Paramount Plus. I'm surprised yeah. it has, there hasn't been I, announced as of yet. Maybe as a state might be dealing with that too. Given do Clive they Custer have the whole difficult. series of books or just the one? There are, I believe, there's a bunch. No, no. I mean, do no. they have the rights to all of them, or just did they just get? Oh, Sahara? that I don't know. Because I, someone yeah. else has had. The raising the Titanic, right? Yeah, I I can't. I wouldn't be surprised if. <clears throat> well, I won't be surprised if somebody's working on it and eventually gets announced. But also, just the 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 legal the legal entanglements that were happening. I don't know if anyone has like yeah. clear rights to be like tomorrow we're announcing a Dirk Pitt movie. Yeah, this feels like something Amazon would do. Like, go for yeah. It. Feels in their wheelhouse. Pair well with Reacher and Jack Ryan, and mm-hmm. you know, I mean, now with, Par- with Paramount Plus, I don't, I wouldn't doubt them doing something like this. Yeah. Also. like it fits yeah. their kind of stable. Star Trek all the time, and what else do they have? Halo, bro. They got oh. Halo coming. <laughs> hey, no. Uh, but well, you know, it's got a guy in a mask, and there's aliens. That's a guaranteed success, right? There you there. Go. That's well, all yeah. you need. Like probably you know what if you know six episodes into Halo if they switch to the Covenant side for two episodes that'll probably work for them right switch, gotcha. to, a complete, switch to a completely different character midway through and make that more interesting there yeah. we go yes yes <laughs> that's, that's an idea <sighs> well we've talked about Sahara a movie that we like it exists and very few people reference because they don't seem to have a reason to. <laughs> how many how many commentaries in the podcast world are you going to find on Sahara? Well, yeah, when, when there's the Shout Select release, it will contain the two commentaries already on this Blu-ray, as well as, <laughs> as, well as ours. So yes. that's, that's the thing to look forward to right there. Uh, but yeah, we've talked about this movie. We've done it. So where can people find more of your guys' work online? Scott Mendelson. Forbes.com, The Ticket Booth. Google some variation of Forbes, Scott Mendelson, the ticket booth. Um, you can find me a lot on YouTube under variations of Scott Mendelson's an idiot or Scott Mendelson is an asshole or various varieties. So have fun with that. Um, I'm at Twitter and at Scott Mendelson. And that's where I am. Brandon Peters. All right. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Brandon4KUHD. Uh, you can find my podcast, The Brandon Peters Show, at thebrandonpetersshow.com, anywhere podcasts are found, YouTube. And I have written Blu ray reviews at whysoblue.com. Aaron and I talked Star Wars stuff recently on my show. Go over there, listen to it. It's awesome. Yeah, you can listen to that. You can read me over at League of Entertainment for movie reviews, Wise is Blue for Blu-ray and Criterion reviews. All my stuff goes to my personal blog, thecodeazeek.com. I'm on Twitter, Darren's PS4. All of these episodes about now with Internet, you can find on iTunes and everywhere you can find our show. Feel free to give us an iTunes review and all that. And um, yeah, all our socials and all those things you can find. Um, Scott, Brandon, thank you very much for joining me for the Sahara commentary track. Thanks for Always having me. Always a pleasure. For sure. Next month, guys, we're finally doing it. 
Batman um, and Robin. Bum, 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 What killed the dinosaurs? The Ice Age. Courage. Now. Truth. Cigar. Always. Family. Above all else. Yeah, it's a proto Fast and Furious movie. But yeah, we are going to talk about Batman and Robin. It's... Uh, featuring a sm- uh, Smashing Pumpkins uh, soundtrack song that was in the Watchmen trailer. So and uh, R. Kelly. And R- is R. Kelly on the Batman and Robin soundtrack? City yeah, yeah, Justice. Yeah, yeah. That's City right. Peace. Yeah, those movies had some bangers. <laughs> it's forever and Batman Robin. Forever we'll, talk, Batman. we'll talk more about that on next month's commentary track uh, for Batman and Robin, the one of the one of the best uh, Batman movies. Uh, but yeah, that's going to do it for this week's this month's commentary track. So until next time, so long. And goodbye. Thank you for listening. The Brandon Peters Show is a Creative Zombie Studios production. Produced by Brad Shoemaker and Brandon Peters. Written and edited by Brandon Peters. Announcer vocals by Jessica Olsman. Theme song by Metavari. Web design and show art by Brad Shoemaker with Brandon Peters. All music and clips featured in the episode are property of their respective studios and no infringement is intended. Additional information on this and other episodes at brandonpetershow.com. For any inquiries, press opportunities, or sponsorship, contact mail at brandonpetershow.com. The show is available on Apple Music, Spotify, or anywhere podcasts are found.